0: Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed. And I'm Amanda. We've got a really long episode today. <laughs> woo So hang in there. Might be a little bit slap-happy by
1: the end of it, no, but I that's think so. all right. A bit punch-drunk, if you will. If you will.
0: <laughs> well, we'll talk about punch-drunk later. <laughs> that's a whole thing. It is. So this is the long list episode.
1: It's um, the long. It's the long, the list long, episode. long list, so.
0: so we're going to have quite a bit to talk about today. We're going to go through the stats from the comp. We're going to go through questions that mm-hmm. some of you had for us. Uh, we'll be shouting out some stories and talking about what we found in the comp, what we liked. The clever ideas that we saw. Mm-hmm. Just bear in mind, though,
1: if we shout you out, that doesn't necessarily mean you made the long list. So we'll be announcing the long list right at the end of the episode. So shout outs. That's just to acknowledge something that we liked. But yeah, stick around till the end or skip ahead if you've got no patience whatsoever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you'll come back and listen because there should be some enlightening stuff in here. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be going a little bit deeper into the anti-prompt and yep. the other two prompts.
1: It should be a really interesting chat because I know a lot of people are still wondering exactly what is this anti-prompt yes. thing. So, if you are wondering about that or even if you're just wondering what how other people handled that, we'll definitely be going through some of the interesting takes on
0: the anti-prompt in this episode. And at the end of the show, we'll be reading the long list and we'll also be reading our two daredevil stories mm. as well and talking about them. So even if you haven't, if you're not one of the two that submitted that story, there's definitely a lot to learn from listening to our feedback. Absolutely. We'll try not to be too cruel to our
1: poor daredevils. They're quite brave putting themselves out there because it's hard. It's hard to take critique on something you've worked hard on. So we'll be
0: gentle, but not too gentle. Not too gentle. And thanks everyone who entered the competition. We had a great time. We were super happy at the number of entries we got and the quality Mm. of the entries. And we've decided that we're going to keep doing this every three months, basically. Yeah.
1: Yep. I'm excited. You know, and all the feedback we've got, has been so positive. Everybody's having such a great time with the anti-prompt, even when they hate it, they love it. And so, yeah, we've decided to make this a regular thing and we hope you'll join us when you can along the way.
0: And so, by the time this episode goes out, you'll be able to sign up for the next comp, which is going to be running in April. Yep. And what's great is that people who are in on the
1: ground floor, you know, starting in this comp now, you have the advantage of sort of learning as you go, learning about the anti-prompt, learning about how, you know, how this comp works and what gets our attention. And hopefully that'll give you an advantage as the comps go forward as well.
0: Yeah. So, with that all said, let's
1: get to this comp. How many entries did we get? (laughs) We got 257 entries. That's of about 310 people who bought tickets. So, there was a few who hit that writer's block wall, mm. including one of our daredevils. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's about 83% of people actually delivered their story. So if you did submit a story, whether you make the long list or not today, pat yourself on the back because it is hard. It is hard. We've all been there when, when life gets in the way or there's just a block. So congrats already if you actually submitted an entry. If you didn't submit on time but you purchased a critique package, you can still send it through. You know, there's a little bit of time to get that to us to still get your critique. So, consider doing that if you did miss the deadline.
0: So, we had about, what was it, 40 something people sign up for the critique mm, package? More than that, I think. Yeah, 50 yeah something. quite a lot. Yeah. Which is great. Mm. We totally encouraged it. But now we have a ton of work to do <laughs> to write critiques for those. And, and I think I calculated and it's basically, it's going to be like a week of full-time work for each of us. I'm looking forward to doing it, but we have discussed it amongst ourselves and I don't think it's going to be feasible and sustainable to keep doing Mm -hmm. this volume of critiques. So, next time around, we'll probably have to tweak a few things. We might have a higher price or we might have a cutoff, essentially a set number of um, Mm. critiques that we'll offer that we can definitely do.
1: Yeah, we want to still do it because we can see the value in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just need to find that happy balance there. Yeah. All right. Now, here come the stats. So- like I said, 257 entries from 23 countries, mm. and I'm sure you can guess the most prevalent country. It's, it's got to be Australia. Yay. Yeah. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And the US. Don't leave me hanging on my Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> oi, oi, oi. <laughs> Thank you. So, 102 Aussies, 70 Yanks, 29 Brits, um, Palms, if you will, <laughs> 17. Do we have a derogatory term for Canadians?
0: Is it Canucks. No, that's like... Oh, it doesn't have to be
1: derogatory.
0: Vaguely sounds bad.
1: (laughs) It sounds a little, doesn't it? It's a rhyming slang. It rhymes Uh. with something, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we've got some Germans, New Zealanders, a couple from Ireland, Japan, Philippines. And shout out to our individual entrants from Belgium, Bulgaria, Chile, France, India, Italy, Korea, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Poland, Samoa, Singapore, Spain, and Sweden. (laughs) Hello. <laughs> was that deeply offensive too. I apologise. We love you all. And, of course, once again, the females have it. We've got 157 women who entered, 73 men. We had seven people who identified as non-binary. Yeah,
0: so females outnumbering males by more than two to one in those mm, stats, mm. which is expected, I guess, but it's still higher than I would have thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, what was it last time? Wasn't it around 70% or something? Yeah, it wasn't
0: time? quite as high last time.
1: Hmm. It's the Barbie movie. It's motivated no, that's soul.
0: Right. <laughs> I Men are too busy beaching.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so with the age breakdowns, we had people from every age bracket, but our most prevalent age bracket was the 30 to 45 mm. category, which we are too. So that makes sense. Me
0: just barely. <laughs> just scraping days. Just
1: through just scraping by, by the one. skin of your old teeth there. Mm. <laughs> so there was 102 people from that category. Next most prevalent category was the next one. So that's you soon. (laughs) (laughs) 45 to 60, there was 72 of you there. And then 18 to 30 came next at 43, entrance 24, 60 plus, and 16 under Mm 18s. So hi to all the young ones. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. The total number of words, title and story that we had to read was 125,778 words. That's roughly a Jane Austen novel, Mm -hmm. like a Sense and Sensibility or a Pride and Prejudice. So pretty decent. And there were three entries that had to be excluded, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So one was disqualified for not using the word punch, which never ceases to amaze me, but I can see how that would happen. One, unfortunately, missed out on an honourable mention. Like, they stayed in the comp, but we just couldn't quite bring ourselves to give them an honourable mention because they didn't quite clearly hit the anti-pump, and it didn't feel fair. So, unfortunately, that person missed out. And then one person was disqualified. This is my platonic life partner, Pat, and unfortunately, she could not help herself and she had to (laughs) roast me in her story. So, I had to disqualify her purely for that.
0: And maybe this is a good time to remind people, let people know, just be careful what you put in that brief explanation field. Yeah, this wasn't in the brief explanation field. This was
1: hardcore roasting me about an incident that (laughs) happened when we were like 13. Very blatantly, I think she ruled herself out of the running pretty quickly on that one. But yes, do be careful. All right. So, these are the stats that I really find interesting as a comp entrant myself. So, 30 stories were submitted in the last hour up the comp, and two were submitted in – well, an extra two, I should say, was submitted in the last minute, like yep. dead on midnight, basically. Yep. And shout out to the three stories that scraped in over the deadline. We – as we mentioned previously to the entrance that we would allow the form to remain open if you're already in the form by midnight. The form stayed open for a few minutes mm-hmm. and so three people scraped in there. You are playing it pretty fine, though, if you do that. Oh, you're really cutting it fine. And I will say – one of the very, very late entries made the short list. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. Mm, so, you know, those extra few seconds might have counted for something. The earliest story we received was within four hours. Mm-hmm. That's slow
0: compared to last time. And last time, last was like- time, it was 11 minutes from memory, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, you've got to know. That it wasn't written for the comp no. or it was chat GPT.
1: So, this earliest story, again... It did not make the long list, Mm. this one. The earliest story to make the long list was submitted on the first day within five hours, Mm -hmm. so not long later. So someone really smashed it out. Well done to type so fast and write so fast and still make the long list. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Our shortest entry was just 139 words. Mm. That was An Enemy's Encouragement by Alexandra Sophia. So that's short and sweet. And the longest title was 13 words and that was You Can't Keep a Good Man Down on the Farm in the Cotswolds by Gail Martin. Just quickly to take the opportunity to say, I hope I've gotten everyone's names right because I was cross-referencing our spreadsheet Mm. quite a lot, so deepest and sincerest apologies if I get it wrong, but I did do my best. I did try. Now here comes the fun one, and this is the one that you might want to skip ahead through if you've got kids in the car or whatever, but it's our swearing stats. (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) So I'll ask you, which word do you think was the most frequently
0: used swear word in this comp? I will say before I answer that question, I did get the impression that the swearing was toned down a fair it was bit toned since down the a first bit. Uh, comp, which was because you made a big point on the on the podcast <laughs> to say we encourage swearing, so people really let it rip. <laughs> but this time around, it was much more subdued. I would have to say,
1: fuck. Well done. Yes. So, we had fuck, motherfucking, fuck with you know, a few different iterations there. There were 64 of those. So okay, that's not much. Very few compared that's to last less time. Less than half. Yeah. And next, should be easy to guess. Oh,
0: hmm, maybe shit. Yes, yes, it was
1: shit. So, shits of all kinds. We had yeah. 57 of those. Three of them were holy. So, we've oh. had a few beatifications there.
0: <laughs> Pope would be proud.
1: Oh, he'd be so proud. He'd be... Shit proud, <laughs> if you will. To use a cliche.
0: <laughs>
1: to, yeah, yikes, to put words in his mouth. But interestingly, those stats were flipped last time, and I was mm. surprised to see that shit was less than fuck because it's more frequently used typically. So people were just going real hard this time. If they were going to do
0: it, they'll You've only go got hard. 500 words, you've got to make an impression.
1: <laughs> and then we had a few others. So we had ass, arson, holes thereof. There mm-hmm. were 17 of those. Eight piss, seven bastards. There was a bit of piss. There was a bit of piss, a bit of spilled piss yeah. here and there. Yeah, that's um, true. That's there was some from. spilled shit, actually. There's a couple of buckets of shit. <laughs> there were five bitches or sons thereof, three dicks, two of which were punched. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, look out. Once again, no vaginas, mm. so consider this your challenge for next time. I mean, again, even the Barbie movie can manage that, so come on. <laughs> uh, we had one cocksucker, no pricks this time zero sea bombs. Of course, in Australia, that's a term of endearment. So just a quick shout out to uh, Nikki Marsh with Sibling Rivalry. I was just wondering, like, have you been to one of my family Christmases? And I just wasn't aware <laughs> because the story was about board games and competitiveness, which just reeks of my family. And they had this game they made up where they had to keep saying cliches. So it's an interesting take mm. on the anti-prompt. And I'm I'm pretty sure cliches and puns um, over MSN Messenger was how I got Andy to fall in love with me. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> that story certainly spoke to me. And you got some questions from social media.
1: Yeah, we had some really great questions from our entrants and listeners about the judging process and different things about the comp. So we'd like to go through some of those now. And there are quite a few, but I think it's worth going through them all because they're really good. We had uh, Nicholas Marconi on Twitter ask, What are some things you find frustrating about the judging of other competitions that you still find yourself doing as judges, whether out of necessity or as a byproduct of the overall process?
0: Number one on my list is how long it takes for the results to be published. A hundred percent. And we had a few people sort of,
1: guys, (laughs) why why is it taking so long?
0: I remember sitting there just saying, why are they taking five weeks to publish results? Come on. It's 500 words, guys. Yeah. How long does it take you to read Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, exactly. But- We've also then got to grade them, work out which ones are our favourites, mm. talk between each other, work out what we agree on, what we don't agree on, and mm. it's a back and forth process. And then we've got to record the podcast, and mm. we've got to edit the podcast, and then we've got to write the uh, the blog post. Yeah, and there's quite a bit of admin. Email.
1: There's a lot to do behind the scenes, and certainly we don't like to drag it out. We probably could do it a little bit quicker, but I think mm. we want to do it properly i don't think either of us want to rush through this like it's important to us we acknowledge the time and effort people put in so we want to give it the time and effort to judge it properly but i agree i wish it was quicker I would say as well something that annoys me is the plain text form. Mm. This was something we talked about at length when we first started the comp about, you know, I need italics or bold and like what's the deal with the line breaks? And it it is a bit annoying. Mm. And it's if you're anxious, anal sort of person like me, you know, you're just starting to think, well, how's this getting perceived on the other end? Is my line breaks right? Is it going to look a bit off? And I know too that some writers use some of those formatting things sort of creatively mm. to lay out their story, which can be useful depending on what you're doing. So, I guess that's annoying and it's something that we do. And again, it's there's a reason.
0: Yeah. So, this time around we had an option to use a rich text form where you can format. But the limitation of the form and the plugin was that it would not count your words. It could yeah. only count characters. And we just felt that having that 500 word cutoff and being sure about how many words you put in was far more important because counting words can be different depending on which mm. piece of software you're using. Exactly, you want to keep that. It. And you want to make sure of- that that is accurate and true. It is something that we're, just, we're continuing to look at and maybe there are other options we can do to make that word count part of the submission process as well with the italics and the formatting too. It's just, oh, we'll slowly improve it. Well, we'll think about it. I mean, to be
1: honest, reflecting back on it, I was happy that all the stories were consistently formatted Mm. because I think it could become a distraction and I think in the wrong ways. So, I think while some people might want to use formatting to create a certain look, Mm. more often than not, it would cause problems and you would end up with stories that had funky formatting problems Mm. that, that ended up sort of harming them. So. I don't think it's such a bad thing that they come out consistent. And at the moment, it is what it is. Uh, we did allow for people to indicate, if manually indicate, I guess, that they wanted italics or bold. And we honoured that when we're reading the story. So, that sort of solves most of
0: the problem. Yeah. And we didn't have any problems with the formatting that came through. I think I saw one comment in the brief explanation field from a story saying, oh, I'm not sure if the formatting mm. went through, like my line breaks are not showing up properly Mm. but when it came through it it all looks good so
1: yeah but it is a bit confusing and a bit anxiety provoking on the other end we've created a quite extensive detailed post now about how to format your entry which will be available to entrants going forward so hopefully that resolves some of those anxieties but back to nicholas's question i guess the other thing that i guess i don't like about other
0: competitions that
1: we do is charge a fee
0: yep so why do we charge a fee Well, it's for our work. Yeah. We put a lot of work into this, um, Mm. hundreds, thousands of hours Mm. into the website, into the podcast, into the editing, into reading, uh, critiquing. It's all a ton of work that we do. Yeah.
1: And Um, it would be unsustainable, completely unsustainable, because we do have day jobs to maintain this without offsetting some of the costs. And we do have actually costs ourselves as Mm. well of running this stuff. So but you know it is what it is and I know that the people who enter the comps see the value as I do when when I pay to enter comps it's not for everyone I know it's not in everyone's budget and that's unfortunate but fortunately there are free competitions around they're usually hosted by like an educational institution or sponsored by a company that's promoting a product and they're free to enter so you know that option is there for people who don't have that in their budget One thing that really frustrates me when I enter a competition is when I get judged and you might get some feedback and you just think, they didn't get it. Mm -hmm. They didn't get what I was trying to say. And guess what? I didn't always get what our entrants were trying to say. And I could see that. There were times when I thought, oh, I'm not picking up what you're putting down here. And that's tough. Like, I don't like that. It is what it is. And I guess I've come to the realization in my own writing that it's up to me to be clear. Yeah. And it's a lesson in trying to find a better balance sometimes of that air of mystery mm. versus clarity in a very brief story, sometimes yeah. briefer than this too.
0: Because you can get stuck in your own head when you're writing mm. and you've got the idea, you know what the idea is, and you're sitting there reworking it and reworking it and it's not until someone else sees it that you realise that you haven't actually said the things that are in your head or yeah. haven't really painted the picture completely for the for the reader.
1: Yeah, haven't quite joined the dots. And that's mm. why it is so important. And We really strongly encourage people to get a beta reader because it's really important to have someone pick that up for you. We do that for each other when we're entering comps like, oh, I didn't quite get this or who's this guy all of a sudden? Or, and it's stuff that as the author, you just cannot pick up because your brain doesn't tell you mm. there's a gap there. Um, And that's what our forum's for. And it was really lovely to see actually when I logged back onto the forum after we'd decided the winner to see that people were doing that for each other. Um, So Alice or Elise Killick on Twitter said, I feel like the problem is with the word count, not the genre. You can write a brilliant story in 1,500 words, but it'll be overlooked because it doesn't meet the word count. Is it fair that it's more about word count than quality?
0: Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, the reason we have a word count is to keep it fair. Otherwise, if we just said open mm. and then someone submits a 1500 word story or a 3500 word story, it's going to be perceived very differently to something that is 500 words.
1: Yeah, there needs to be some sort of standardization yeah. to be
0: able to compare.
1: But I guess I disagree that it's more about word count. We don't make it about word count. Like no. it is a flash fiction competition, although, yes, it's probably the strictest rule that we have. Mm. I don't really think that's what it's about. I think it's about the story, ultimately. And not every story is a flash fiction story, and this is something that we can get into a bit later as well. But it's part of the challenge of flash fiction to be concise. That's what this competition is. This is not a novel competition. It's being concise, being evocative in a very brief period of time. And that is a special challenge.
0: Yeah, I think that's also something that we spoke about. On the last longlist episode, there were a lot of stories that try to bite off more than they can chew mm. in terms of a story, uh, and really try to tell a whole arc someone's life or you know something along those lines. And mm. there's just not enough time. Oh, you, you cannot it. build your character. You cannot get invested in anything emotionally if you're just hitting beats mm. across a longer story. And so, yeah, tell a small part of that story. Mm. And this is something
1: we've provided, you know, advice on on the website and elsewhere, just about how to really narrow your focus to really get the most out of. So, that's our view on it. Not everyone would agree. So, feel free to jump on social media and let us know what you think about the word count. So, moving on, we have Wesley Zurevek on Twitter. How do you prevent genre bias when judging? I.e., are there specific genres you are naturally drawn to or repelled by? And if so, how do you keep things even?
0: Yeah. So, this is an interesting question because... I think for me there are certain genres I'm I'm drawn to or and repelled by, mm, of course, but, but they're not necessarily us. the same genres as I am in generally drawn to mm. or, or repelled by because there are things that work much better in flash fiction than other places, and there are things that I enjoy in movies or in other books that, mm. that I just don't think work as well in flash fiction and a couple of those genres are fantasy and mm. sci-fi and for similar but different reasons because for sci-fi you really need time to set up world building you need to establish what are the rules of the world you're in mm. and what is the kind of the concept that you're trying to drive home
1: and it's not even about having to do
0: that it's that's why people read fantasy yeah. like that's the joy that's of fantasy
1: yeah whereas if without that what's left
0: and so the trap you can fall into because you just don't have that time is to tell quite a cliched story, something that is very generic, like a generic fantasy story. There's a mm. knight and he's, he's in yeah. a battle and that's the story. Flash fiction is much more suited towards human stories where the setting is real world. I I find, because you don't have to explain things. Yeah,
1: you jump straight in. I agree. But look, that's not to say it can't be done. And Wesley's question is, the implied question Mm. beneath it is, are you going to judge me harshly if you don't like the type of story that Mm. I like? And I don't think so. I mean, I really don't. I think that we judge a story on its merits. And I mean, I don't particularly like fantasy or sci-fi at all. Mm. Like, that's not my genre. That's not to say I haven't enjoyed watching Lord of the Rings and stuff, but- It's not a genre that I enjoy. However, I can appreciate and acknowledge when it's done well. And so if we saw a story come through and it was a flash fiction piece and it did effectively convey meaning, evoked emotion, or did what Mm. it needed to do to otherwise be really effective as flash fiction, then for sure it would get through. So it's not a bias in the sense that we're not going to – we just don't like it and we're going to just toss it to the side. It's absolutely a case of how it's executed – And as you've indicated, like, it's just a lot harder to Mm. execute some types of stories. And I would add to the sci-fi and fantasy, genre stories, like detective stories, um, some romances. And when I say romance, I don't mean a romantic story because there are plenty of those that work well in Flash. Love is perfectly interesting emotion to convey. I'm talking like genre romance, you know, the tropes. And again, this is why people read and love romance stories, the Mm. tropes. They love it. Um, Myself included when I read romance and it's not the same in flash because those tropes become and we'll talk about cliches but they become cliche and it feels too generic or it can feel too generic and when it does it's not effective as flash. Again, that's not to say a romance wouldn't make it through. Our winner last time was a romantic story, but it delivered as a piece of flash.
0: I mean, think think about it as the difference between a full-length movie that you're watching as opposed to a short film. Mm. And if you just take 10 minutes out of your favourite movie and put that in a short Mm. film, you're just not going to get anything like the impact that you need out of it. Because you're missing all of the other context and the characters. So, you can't just take a snippet of something bigger and say that's a story. You need to really tune it for the format.
1: That's it. And I think important to remember too that it's a competition. So, if you're producing something that has a bit of a a generic or vanilla sort of flavor to it, like something that's very palatable, like we're all going to go see it at the movies because it's a good movie, but it's not special, Mm. well, then how are you going to stand out against the competition with something that's just good? What we always say is please write what you want to write. We're not here to by any means try and persuade people to write what we think is good because we are constantly pleasantly surprised by the entries that we get and the way that people are able to sway us into things that we didn't even know we wanted. So, if you love writing fantasy, by all means, write your fantasy. Just make sure that you are also delivering an effective piece of flash fiction. That's our challenge to you. Yeah. So, next question was from Greg Schmidt on Twitter, whose name I very much remember. Yes, me too. <laughs> from the last comp. And Greg asked, have you ever had a story that one of you loves, but the other just hates? Does the story always need both
0: judges' approval to stay? I, I can't think of any that one of us was dead set on, mm. but didn't make the cut. No, not this time. No, it for was sure. always. It's always just because we have to draw the line somewhere. Yep. And you know, there's people who's go- who are going to be just below the line, and mm. that's always going to happen. It's a different story, I guess, when we're going to the shortlist because I think this time around we agreed pretty closely on which six were going to be in the shortlist. I think there were one or two... That I liked more and that you liked more. But we both and, agreed they were close, like but they it was weren't close. sort of way off. Yeah, yet. that's right. And we discuss, we negotiate the order and, mm. and try to work out where, where things sit. And I think that's one of the good things about having the wild cards that we brought in mm. this year, because that does give us an opportunity. Wild cards are open for us. We can choose them for whatever we like, and there's two, so you know, we can be one each yep. if we wanted. They're entries that didn't make the shortlist, but we can call them out. So if there is one that I feel really strongly about, and I you, feel
1: really strongly against that you hate.
0: I yeah. can say, well, no, that's going to be wild wild card entry. So mm-hmm. we do have a way around that. But I think we tend to agree, even though we have different tastes, we do tend to agree on at least quality wise yeah. which stories belong in the top.
1: It's pretty organic, I have to say, pretty organic process for us with the judging because it's the two of us at the moment, we have the luxury of being able to judge it in sort of a fluid way. So, it's like based on what we get yeah. instead of having a really fixed agenda about what that's going to be because, you know, we want creativity. So, we have to be flexible to reward that when it comes in.
0: Yeah. I think last time the the long list decision was a lot easier than this time. I think there were only a couple that we were mm. not sure about. And I think the, the quality of the stories was much closer mm. this time around. Like, you know, most of the stories were in the middle of the pack. Yeah, like they're sure. really close together in in quality. Not was too many outliers. Not too many end. outliers either, you know, top or bottom. So mm. it's, it was really difficult just to draw that line at the long list this time around. And so if you did miss out on the long list, it's. Probably you weren't too far off.
1: Yeah, actually, it's a good point because I know it's disappointing when you hear, you know, you didn't make the long list. Like we're all sensitive, you know, this is our creativity. Sometimes our identity on the line when we're talking about our stories, it's like I'm putting myself out Mm. there and getting rejected. And I just want to say, like, this is absolutely not a rejection. everybody did amazing. And, you know, I wish we could have everyone on the long list, but I hope that no one goes away thinking, oh, well, I'm just never going to write again. Because I absolutely would not be saying that to any of you. You should all be writing and you should all continue. And hopefully some the stuff we go through shortly will give you some inspiration for next time to level up again if you didn't make the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it flows on to Nina's question, Nina Miller on Twitter, who asked, do you really read each one through? Have you ever read a bad opening paragraph and just said, nope, not going to read, <laughs> and stopped?
0: So, yes, we do read each one through. Absolutely. And I absolutely Every make word. sure to... Give them the time. I know how much time we spent on this. And mm-hmm. Actually, we both just entered Furious Fiction we did. last month as well. So I've just written a 500-word story last weekend, so I know how much time you spent agonising over each word and getting that story just right. So we want to be absolutely fair and give everyone the time and make sure that we're reading everyone all the way through. would never just give no. up
1: at the first. I will say, though, there are certainly ones where I read the opening sentence and I go, ugh. Oh.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, you definitely have to work hard to win a sometimes. After our-
1: yeah, to recover, but absolutely, would read every word that follows. And guess what? Plenty of stories do recover. Yeah. And by the last word, you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. So we give everyone the time of day, but by the same token, that opening sentence is very, important, very important. So don't be overlooking that. So Mary Rose Sapphire on Instagram asked, "What are the deal breakers or makers when it comes to finalizing the long list, and how important is the ending?"
0: Yeah. So, like you have said, it, it is organic and we don't have a strict set of requirements that we tick off, but we yep. both have some things that we're looking for. So, the technical quality of the writing is important. Yeah.
1: But, you know, we have seen stories make it through the long list that technically weren't as good as others. Yes. Because that's not the only that's thing. That's not the only being, thing. And in fact, it's very important, but it's not the most important thing.
0: Yeah. For me personally, it's quite emotional. Like yes. it's a, you get to the end of the story how, how do you feel about it? It's the is vibe, it, is it, baby. It, it's the vibe. Is it, <laughs> do you feel like you've been affected by the story emotionally? It doesn't have to be emotionally as in sad or yeah. anything like that, but do you, did you get something out of it? Mm. Did it leave you with something? Did it leave you with a mark? Or did you get to the end of the story and you went, hmm, yeah. okay?
1: Yeah, and something can be very technically proficient and yeah. still leave you with a meh at yeah. the end.
0: Yeah, so originality, the story itself, and also the prompts.
1: Yeah, I think originality and cleverness can get you a long way, in fact, probably further than technical proficiency, Mm. provided, you know, you're still up there, but bringing something fresh, like, because that automatically evokes a reaction in someone, because we're like, oh, this is different, you know, so that's going to get you somewhere. And a really effective way to do that in this comp, and probably in others, is to have a creative take on the prompts, Mm. because we see that, it's impressive.
0: So, those are the deal makers. In mm. terms of deal breakers, there are definitely things that can lower the story below the level it needs to be. Some of those things are unpolished prose, cliched situations, which I know is Uh-oh. challenging this time <laughs> in this comp. But often, like if you just read the story and you know you've read it before or mm. you've seen it before, uh, underdeveloped characters, which is... A problem, I think, with lots of writing is just that lacking that focus on on characters. And that's something we've gone into
1: detail about before. And we'll keep hammering it because I really think if you take anything away from this episode, character. And finally, a poor ending. Yeah. That can really sink the ship. I would much rather a weak beginning than a weak ending. Yeah, for sure. Because it's what we're left with, Mm. you know, because that's how we judge it because we do read every word. It's how it ends. And I know for myself I find it really hard to end flash fiction without being cliche because Mm. there often is just you've got to wrap it up so quick. You don't get to do it in a super unique and original way a lot of the time. Uh, And you're not necessarily looking for a twist. So how can you end it and make it feel satisfying? But it is important, Mm. super important. Um, That probably leads on to the next question, which is from Dean Clory on, on Twitter. And he asked, are there any particular things that instantly endanger an entry, like blatant typos, POV
0: errors, overuse of exclamations, etc.? Mm-hmm. Huh? Not instantly, I think. Mm. Again, it is about the vibe, and mm. you get to the end of the story and you can overlook some problems. But often those are deal-breakers when you're talking about the shortlist or trying to get mm. to the, the top of the heap. Those are all things that you should, that you should look at, at fixing.
1: No, that's it. And just jumping back to the previous question too, it links in. something that for me would get you off the long list Mm. is if I don't get it yeah if I read it and I read it again and I read it a third time and I go "Mm, I don't know what's happening here this is a mess that's a deal breaker for sure that's something that endangers your story but like the little stuff like do you use x like we have our own little quirks and preferences things that piss us off like Ed hates ellipses. I love an <laughs> ellipsis. I'm,
0: I'm not going <laughs> to mark anyone down for using them that's valid. Exactly. But they're loud to you, right? They're I, loud. I have a problem with them when they're overused. Yeah, right. Really. Which I, I'm guilty of. Um, and
1: I like an exclamation mark. I mean, no problems there but I have a, like a little pet peeve of people describing hair colour and eye colour yeah. and it's completely stupid and I do it myself in my own writing but sometimes that's really yeah. loud to me as well. But, I, you know, that's not going to get you off the list. This is not our little ego trip where we just, yeah. no, you mustn't. There's yeah. a right way and a wrong way. Like So, Dean went on to ask, uh, how important do you think the first and final paragraphs or sentences are?
0: Yeah, very important. Vital. Yeah. It's not going to make or break your story, but if you can make it the first sentence really good – then it gets your attention. You've done
1: a lot of the work in getting us on your side, basically. I'm
0: I'm into it and I really want to know what happens next. And I'm I'm really hoping this story is going to be great Mm. from the outset. Mm -hmm.
1: But then... If you do that and don't deliver on the final sentence, it can actually be kind of disappointing. Yeah. So, again, I think the final sentence is vitally important. You know, you could get through on a pretty stock standard Mm. opening or closing. It's not like you have to wow every time. You can deliver stuff in a pretty straightforward way. It doesn't Mm. need to be some, like, super evocative, crazy, like, purple prose or anything. It just needs to be what it needs to be in your story and leave the reader, leave the judges satisfied in the ending. Like, that was good. Or I felt a thing, or I mm. thought it made me think. or So, yeah, super important. Uh, so, the final part of Dean's question was, how important is the title? For example, a story with a great twist, but the twist is revealed in the title.
0: Oh, that's like the holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably disagree on this, because I don't think the title is that important at all. <laughs> like, I read the title, and then I read the story, and I don't dwell on the title. I, sometimes I come back to it and go, oh, yeah, okay. okay. But for me, it's if you've got a great story, I don't care what the title is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, to me in Flash, the title is a huge part of your story and you should take it seriously. mm -hmm. It can be used in many, many different ways. You could really, for example, quickly set up and establish a lot with Mm. your title. Like I already know where we are or when we are or what to expect of this story before it even begins. So, I'm already sort of primed before I started reading the story. That's one way to effectively use your title. You don't have to, but it can be done that way. Certainly when you get to the end of the story and the title has gained a new meaning, Mm. to me that's deeply satisfying and it's part of, you know, the one-two punch, if you will, of like the ending of your story and that circularity back to the beginning. If you circle it all the way back to the title, that can feel satisfying. It can tip you over into like a listing. So, I think it's worth considering. But probably the number one thing I would say because… It seems to me, looking at our entries, that a lot of people really didn't put a huge amount of thought into their titles. Mm. They just had a functional title, which is fine. But like, you don't need to deliver a twist every time. But what you do need to do in a comp is have a title that harks immediately back to your story. Like, Mm. you don't have to, but that's going to help your chances. If I read the title and go, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Like, that's good. Because it's part of what I guess keeps you in my mind yeah, as I'm true. making my decisions. And of course, ultimately, it's the story that's going to have to deliver. But I do think there's probably a little bit of favouritism that goes into the memorable stories. And part of being memorable is immediately harking back to it just
0: with mm. that title. So, I, I don't know if I've convinced you, but- I think that's all true. What it comes down to is this. If you've got a great story and a bad title, it's going to be fine. Yeah. If you've got a great title and a bad story- It's not going to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) So, focus on the story. The title is, if you can get like a little bit extra out of it, you can. Mm. But definitely think about the story first.
1: So, speaking of titles, I thought it'd be fun to shout out some of the ones that got our attention. And I should point out, once again, this is not the long list. Mm -hmm. These are just shout outs. We just wanted to call out some that we noticed and that sort of got our attention. So, I had quite a few. The Tick, Tick, Ticking by Noah Vale.
0: Which must be a nom de plume, right? Pen name.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Noah (laughs) Vale. I just got that. Uh, Only by reading out loud. Sexy Bits Sold Separately by April Rains.
0: Possibly also a pen name. (laughs) I don't
1: know. Do they precede May flowers or I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) As Far As The Eye Can See by Tess Allen. I quite like that one. It's a cliche. You're sort of already setting up what you're doing there. Sleeping Forever Rest by Stephanie Cantrell. Yeah, just a clever little twist there. Yeah. Barney's Unfortunate Demise by Mahara Heslop. I liked How to Get Twitter Famous by mm-hmm. Cheryl King. Yeah, That's what um, you've
0: been trying to do for ah! years.
1: <laughs> Tell me all your secrets, Cheryl. <laughs> um, I also liked But Bob Really Is yeah, My I Uncle. Like that one too. But, and that's Kathy Prokovnik, whose name I also
0: remember yes. from the last comp.
1: We've got Death or Worms by A.A. A. Long. Mm hmm. It's uh, usually
0: death and worms, I think.
1: <laughs> well, now you have an option. What are you going to pick? Mm. Choose your fighter. I choose death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a millennial thing to say. You're a Gen Xer. What are we talking about? Anyway, we've got Guts on the Floor and Other Hazards of Getting Your Head Examined by mm. Nikki Nance. Um, we've got Placeholder Street by mm. Michael McGovern, which... <laughs> I was worried briefly it was a typo.
0: (laughs) Oh, right, you thought it was just a placeholder title. Because that's what I do. I
1: give people placeholder names Mm. in my stories until I can come up with one. We had Pluck the Day as it is Ripe Mm -hmm. by Samantha Ryan, who's actually one of our daredevils, so we'll be reading that one later, which is good fun. But that one actually taught me something. So I didn't know that Pluck the Day as it is Ripe is like the more literal translation of Carpe Diem. Really? You know, we normally say it Seize the Day. Apparently it's Pluck the Day. Oh, okay. So, anyway, it's just a little fun fact for you. Um, I, I'm assuming it's a fact. We've got Noxiously Ever After by Ansiphi Adilla, which I quite like. Just a little subverting of expectations there. Um, the next one, though, has to be my favourite title of all, and that's Yes, Mum by Carla mm-hmm. Porch <laughs> because I do not hear that enough. <laughs> um, I also quite like The Way of the Bins yes. by Bob Topping, another name I recognise from, from previous comps. And Oils Well That Ends Well <laughs> by T. High. We've got Two Buckets and a Rope by Tom Brodkin, which was quite a moving story. And this is yes. a good example of one that immediately, to me, recalls back the That's story. That's true, so,
0: yeah. yeah. you make it a good point there.
1: Yeah, but it's, you know, it's simple words, but it helps me recall it. We've, um, we've got The High-Flying, Death-Defying Eighth Wonder of the World mm-hmm. by Curtis Campbell. And, uh, you know, that's just a nice way to set up something a bit dramatic before we even get in there. And then we've got The Happy Scribblers Writing Group by Suzanne Wacker.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which is quite cute. And again, like, it's just sort of establishing a tone. And this is what I'm talking about by using your title to sort of set up where your story's going. Yep. And then probably my second favourite after Yes Mum has to be The Audacity of Men (laughs) by Holly Sadowski because, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you want to get Amanda's attention, just call your story Fuck Men. She'll be like, yes, winner. We've got the winner right here.
1: (laughs) And what about you? What else did you have that I didn't cover?
0: You've you've listed a lot of them, but I'll add a few more. So uh, Everything in Australia is Trying to Kill You by Timothy Hayes. Um, and that's another one that harkens back to the story, mm, which definitely. Yeah, there is someone called everything yeah. in Australia. Uh, and the other two I both, are, uh, I guess, cliches that have a meaning. This is what you were saying before. Mm. Once you read the story, the title takes on a new light. Mm. So the first is Stick It to the Man by Carla Connolly. Mm-hmm. And that has a literal meaning as well, once yep. you read the story that comes apparent. I and, recall that story too. Mm. And The Circle of Life by The Wayward Scribe. And the circle of life is about a balloon, so. mm, a round one. I'm goes, assuming <laughs> a round one. Assuming a circular, a circular balloon. Uh, and the story is about life, so that's another one. That, um, mm, it was a baby shower. Or something
1: was a baby shower.
0: Well, it was a birth, and, and a then it was a death. Yes, or right, yeah. a funeral.
1: Yeah. So I guess I don't know if there's anything in that for other people who are listening about what those titles did for you. Is there something in it? You know, is there anything you can learn from the way other people title their stories? And also, like, let's do some shout-outs of our favourite opening lines. Yep. This, I, honestly, a solid opening line. As much as we were saying it's not as important, like, they're fun, though. I think you just it's, I think read it's really one, important. you're like, ooh, love yeah, it. it. Gets yep. you on board, yep. So, what have you got? What are some of your faves?
0: So, the first one I've got is from That Little Voice by Mackenzie Knowles. Mm-hmm. And it's, why can't I kill my mother-in-law? Or at least, maim. <laughs> Gets your attention. Should we be worried about <laughs> yeah. either
1: your mother-in-law or her mother-in-law? Oh, I've
0: already reported her to the police. <laughs> <laughs> the Way of the Bins by Bob Topping. Mm. It was my dull idea to clobber and bag the cat and the odour is foul. Yeah, I
1: like that one too. So,
0: another one that gets you into the story. Mm-hmm. It Never Rains But It pours by Athena Law. The first sentence of the story is just the word moist. <laughs> <laughs> another attention grabber there. Apologies, uh, we should have
1: oh, we should done have a warning for that Trigger one too. warning for the word for
0: that word, <laughs> the M word. Mm-hmm. Old poisons by Frank Seymour, and the first line is "I want you to kill my husband." Hmm. If by Jonathan Robertson, you can tell a lot about someone by how they pee their pants. <laughs> <laughs> what can you
1: tell exactly? Well, exactly. That's what yeah. I want to know,
0: Jonathan. Like- <laughs> and how many ways are there that you can possibly <laughs> pee your pants? <laughs>
1: Number one, laughing over a story (laughs) opening.
0: (laughs) You know what? I like the way you pee your pants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Probably makes you feel warmer. Uh, and the last one on my list is Dependable by R.C. Barajas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole sentence because the entire story is one oh, single sentence. Oh, yes, that's the one.
1: Wasn't it like 457 words? Something else. Right? It, it was
0: close to 500. The, and it begins with the old Plymouth bumps like a tractor over a furrowed field. And it goes on another 400 and something words. Yeah. But definitely uh, worth mentioning mm. that story.
1: A brave entry. And, a brave entry. You know, big props for that. So, I'm just going to shout out one that immediately got my attention. And again, we don't know who's writing these stories until Mm -hmm. after we've made our final call. Although this one, as I previously mentioned, did have to get disqualified (laughs) for being like my platonic life partner. So, Petrosian Empire (laughs) with Jim story Jim The opening sentence, is it wrong to call my kid a turd? Just saying turd is like a pressure valve releasing. Turd-ass turd. (laughs) (laughs) I also liked the Harriet Calico or Cat Got Your Tongue by Sam James. Which is a good title as well. It is, yeah, evocative title. There is a cat covered in baked beans on the floor of the office. Mm -hmm. Immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, why? I want to know. Why is the cat covered in baked beans? Um, We've got Gift Horse by Morgan McIntyre. We barely stepped inside the art gallery of South Australia when I realised that my husband was trying to divorce Mm me. Ouch. I also quite like The Trial of Ginny McBride. And I have to just confess now that I have a little bit of a a racism issue against Americans (laughs) because he stole my brother from me (laughs) because he lives there and his family. Um, So this one made me laugh. Um, So The Trial of Ginny McBride by Malcolm Todd. He was loud and drunk and American. None of these would have endeared him to Ginny at the best of times. (laughs) So maybe I'm just like, I don't know, projecting. So I also quite like the opening line of Bless This Mess by Chad Frame, which was, Dawn breaks like a dropped jar of marmalade over night's black marble counter. Yes. Just a real vivid picture there without being purple prose. Quite a beautiful image. And we have a bit of a running joke between me and Ed about
0: (laughs) poorly described sunrises and sunsets and things, so uh you did well. You done good. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Uh sometimes there's a tendency to over describe things in in stories that don't need to be described.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We'll get on that high horse another time. Another time. So I also quite liked from the Amber Project by Joanna A. Amber was not your average girl. She was so much worse. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's good. It's a good example of one that just immediately subverts your expectations. So that's a really actually quite a great way to start a story. Mm. If you're not sure where to start, just immediately subverting expectations like that is a great one, depending on the tone you're trying to go for. We've got Stick It to the Man by Carla Connolly. If he knew he would be revolting against capitalism and tearing down the global economy that day, he might have worn a different yeah. shirt. A <laughs> Same thing, subverting expectations there. So, let's talk about the prompts, Mm. because that's what we're here for. I just wanted to begin this prompt discussion by giving a shout-out to A Love at First Sight by Jade and Christopher, who managed to hit all three prompts (laughs) in a single sentence, and so I'm going to read that one out. I flatten the shirt and tuck it into my khaki pants, pulling out the wrinkles and hiding the small stain where I spilled the punch, killing two birds with one stone. Or three birds with one stone. exactly. Yeah, that's quite good. (laughs) So we've got uh, the word punch, we've got the spilling something, and we've got the Mm anti-prompt of of the cliche killing two birds with one stone. So well done with that, Jaden.
0: With that out of the way, you can just tell the story. Yeah. don't have to worry
1: about (laughs) it. That's your precursor to whatever you want it Mm -hmm. to be next. So let's start with the punch prompt. And Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to begin by calling out who did what to the punch by Lily Finch and... You know, Lily went hard on the punch prompt, and this is an example from the story. Midge was so glad nobody pushed on to discover who'd punchy-punched the punch. Otherwise, she'd have been guilty as charged. Nobody was happier than
0: Midge. She was pleased as punch. I'm actually surprised we didn't get more pleased as punch, because that is a cliche and a punch. Mm. Well, this particular story by Lily Finch
1: had 22 instances of the word punch in a whole different range of formats. Which is nearly 5% of the word count of the story. (laughs) So, that is bold. That's a bold bold move. Well done. I like to see someone challenge themselves. Mm. That's good. I would say, though, it can sometimes come at at the expense of the story. So, you've got to be careful with that. Like, absolutely, go nuts, have fun. But bear in mind, you've still got to be telling a really effective Mm -hmm. story. So, that's important to remember if you're going to be going hard on any of the prompts.
0: So, last word we used, uh, last comp was right. And this time all around was punch. Mm-hmm. And there were much fewer different variations on punch than there were on which, right. Which, of course, because
1: RITE can fit into a lot more yeah, words exactly. than punch can. So that was
0: to be expected.
1: But nevertheless, we had some real creativity with the use of punch. By far and away, the most common use of punch was like a physical yeah. punch, like a hit of some kind. And I did go out on Twitter, actually, and ask our followers to guess which was the most punched part mm-hmm. of the body <laughs> uh, and the results came back. That the guesses were 41% gut, yeah. uh, 31% to the face and then an equal 14% each to the crotch or in a bowl, right? I said, w- where would you find the punch? Mm-hmm. And I would say that was number one by yeah. far, a punch to the gut uh, or a gut punch, a physical one, well and truly outweighed any of the other types of punches. Although, as I did mention earlier, there were two punched dicks. So, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> look very out, memorable, everyone. I think. <laughs> So, the next most prevalent use of punch was the figurative. It felt like a punch kind of thing. And the literal hit um, appeared in like 93 stories, so a lot. And then the more figurative version, like 39 stories. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them were gut punches. So, if you use gut punch, that was certainly one that we saw a lot of. The next most common type of punch, do you want to guess? Like a punch bowl, a bowl of punch. Yeah, Yeah. the drink, the drink. Mm -hmm. So, there were 28 stories that featured punch as a drink and punch bowls and things like that. I was actually disappointed we didn't see any punch bowl the place because punch oh, bowls is a place in Australia. But um, there was one punchy punch, which I think is an actual <laughs> type of drink, like it's an alcoholic yeah, yeah. beverage. And then uh, nine punch bowls, hmm. most of which you will be unsurprised to learn were spilled.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That was the, um, the easy out there.
1: So just speaking of punch the drink and the figurative forms thereof, Um, there were a couple of people who took an interesting sort of take on it and I just wanted to call them out now. So we had Frances Greenleaf with the story 1976 Plymouth Beach, who wrote, a warm explosion of stomach contents that looked curiously like fruit punch Mm. gave her hope. So that was a nice way to just flip it a little bit and... I'm not sure it might have been the only (laughs) only punch vomit. There might have been more than one, but that was the most beautiful, I guess, the most evocative. (laughs) How You make vomit beautiful. Well done, Francis. And then Madeline Howard with It Goes Without Saying, who wrote, speaking of chemotherapy, we watch in silence as a sickly red punch slowly winds its way down the tubes and into my blood. Very evocative. So those really got my attention. I thought it was a wonderful way to use punch and certainly, you know, raise those stories in my estimation. Okay, next one I've got here is Punchline. I was actually expecting to see a lot more mm. punchlines. We had 11 stories that used Punchline, and I was, I guess, hoping to see punchlines. I love a bit of comedy, so mm. that was great. And then the next one was Punch Drunk. Uh, yes. 11 stories that
0: used it and one that sort of used it. Tell us about Punch Drunk. Yeah. So a lot of the stories we read used Punch Drunk to mean drunk. Yeah. And It doesn't mean drunk. No, it doesn't. It means that you've been punched so much that it's as though you're drunk.
1: Often it was just a throwaway line, like this person was acting punch drunk. And some of them were used correctly. By no means was it every story. But it was clear to me that quite a few people
0: misunderstood the term
1: punch drunk. It's the Tweety Bird thing, right? The Tweety Bird's going around your head or the stars or whatever.
0: Which might be a generational thing because... I don't think young people are getting in as many fights as people used to. So (laughs)
1: That's true. And do you know what else? Um, There's a phrase that gets used a lot now, which is like punchy, like feeling punchy, which is like slap happy or silly. Like, oh, it's so late now. I'm feeling punchy. We get a bit punchy on this show. But, yeah, I wonder is that actually because I haven't gone into Mm. the etymology of it. I do wonder, is that actually a flow on from Punch Drunk? That's also been yeah. misunderstood and now it's created a new meaning. One yeah. of those ones where the dictionary goes, righto guys, you had your, you've had you got your way now, we'll put it in as meaning drunk. We had quite a few references to Punch and duty, and they were used in different forms. So we had about overall probably about 10 stories that referred to Punch and Judy or just to Punch the Puppet, Punchinello, which, you know, I was also expecting to see, so yeah. not really surprised there.
0: Funnily enough, we got at least one Punch and Judy story last time around where that wasn't really? even the, the I rooms. know. Yeah.
1: Um, I remember that one very well because I think we did a critique yes. on that one. So, yeah. Now, I just wanted to call out, too, there were quite a few, as you indicated earlier, cliche phrases that use punch. There's several. So, we saw a lot of those, too. The most common one we saw was proud or pleased as punch. Mm-hmm. And just another little fun fact for everybody punch should be capitalized there because we're talking about punch the puppet again. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you're pleased as punch, like he basically kills everyone. And he's yeah. pretty happy with himself. So, that's what okay. it is to be proud or pleased as punch. Yeah. Which again, if we're talking about um, accurate usages of it, it should imply a bit of a sort of sinister. Yeah, like, right. I, I shouldn't be proud as punch about my daughter's school achievements. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to, It's sort of like a self-satisfied, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good, that kind of thing. I just want to call out some of the unique usages of punch as well like a little bit more out of left field and it's quite funny I think sometimes because when you try really hard to be original that's mm-hmm. when you're really not going to be and I would like to let everybody know the two people who, who used cow puncher <laughs> <laughs> someone else thought of that too yeah. so cow puncher being like a cowboy basically yeah. and the rest of these that I'm going to read through was one offs so yep. if you did this it was just you congratulations you ma- managed to be original we had one coward punch, which, again, is a type of physical punch, yeah. but I was surprised to not see any more of those. That's also known as a king hit. Mm-hmm. We had one Suffolk punch, which is a like a draft horse. Right. Yeah, okay. and I Googled it, and they're quite handsome horses. We had one use of the word punchin', mm-hmm. which is a, one of the very few non-straight punch words right like it's yeah so in fact i looked that up and i still don't know what it means it has a lot of meanings in this particular case they were using it as like a wooden walkway yeah but it can mean other things it can mean like a post holding something up it's it's got a bunch of different meanings so it's p-u-n-c-h-e-o-n yeah quite a versatile word that we never hear yeah or i never hear we had one punch party which i didn't even know was a thing one that stood out to me which i It's not a pleasant thing, but I quite liked it as a use of punch, was punch biopsy. Yes. So, that felt a bit different and clever. I was surprised to only see one punch buggy. Yeah.
0: What's
1: a punch buggy? A punch VW Beetle.
0: Right. Okay. You
1: know, punch buggy, you punch someone. Like, you see a a Volkswagen Beetle. Punch buggy. This is
0: a cultural thing I'm not familiar with.
1: Oh, okay. I'm going to have to make you familiar (laughs) (laughs) with it. And we had one pinch and a punch. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like pinch and a punch for the first of the month. Another one, this one I just found really evocative was tin-punched votive. Mm -hmm. So, a little tin candle holder with holes punched in it. And one, I I know you you like this one, punch a cone. Oh, yeah. Just Just, one. Just the one. Just (laughs) one. Really really holding back. (laughs) (laughs) So, well done if you had one of those unique takes. But look, you don't have to be the only one to do it as long as you do it well. And there were plenty of people who did it well. So, well done.
0: All right. So, then let's talk about the next prompt, spilling something. Mm.
1: So, that was an action that had to occur in the story, that something's being spilled. But yeah, we didn't require people to say the word spill. No, no, no. As long as it was evident that something was being spilled.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things we want to achieve with the action prompt is to try and spark maybe some conflict in the story. Mm. The first time around we had crossing a line Mm. and now we have spilling something. Mm. So, there's a trigger that you have to have some sort of conflict. Potentially. In your story. Potentially. I mean, you can always interpret that how you like. Mm. But it can still be metaphorical, like you can sure. spill the beans or spill mm. the tea, as they say these days. <laughs> it's the that kids, these, kids days. these days
1: <laughs> for sure. Well, would you like to hear some of the ways Absolutely. in which things were spilled? So again, I went on Twitter just for funsies. It's so. called X now, by the way. I will continue using its dead name until I die. <laughs> so I did a little poll uh, to ask which do you think was the most spilled liquid? In the not quite right prize this time. Because there were things other than liquids that spilled, but which? What do you think? What was
0: Well, I—I I well, not know. I haven't mean, seen you've these read stats. them. I've read them, but um, I would say it has to be punch, right? Has to be or blood.
1: Okay, so well, the options I gave were blood, milk, punch, and tea. So, oh my god, milk. <laughs> So, we had the guesses on Twitter were that uh, 48% of people thought that blood would be the Mm. most spilled thing, which is fair enough, given that everyone's punching each other. 22% said milk, 19% said punch would be the most spilled, and 11% said tea.
0: I would have said milk.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was milk, easily. So, 23 instances of milk, including one milk punch specifically, that were spilled either figuratively or literally, and almost always literally. So, that was quite a lot but blood came in a very close second yeah, was again. Quite a lot of blood. Yeah, so t- 21 instances of blood being spilled, so pretty close mm-hmm. there. Some stories were probably both. And then number 3, punch. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, not far behind, 20 stories in- again including that milk punch that was spilled. Lots of broken punch bowls and yeah. disasters afoot. So great cuz that's conflict, right? Mm. The most spilled object was beans <laughs> to be expected when we've got the anti-prompt of cliches because yeah, of course right. it's a cliche phrase to spill the beans and i know for sure that's where people were yeah. going with that one and just some other bodily fluids that were spilled <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to go down that path we had nine tears yep. were spilled eight guts Yep, spill your guts one urine yeah <laughs> or piss was spilled <laughs> yikes um
0: a lot about someone, by the way, they spill their <laughs> Apparently.
1: Two lots of vomit was spilled. Yeah. Two buckets of shit. Oh. So, to the two separate in individual two authors who spilled buckets of shit. Memorably. Fantastic.
0: Uh, and Maybe then, we should put those people in contact with each other. I don't know. That
1: could get very ugly very quickly. Um, and then one in a sort of more evocative use of the word spill. Sweat and pheromones mm. were spilled. <laughs> we had... Uh, A couple I'll call out for being just a bit more esoteric and unique takes on spilling. We had a story in which the pretending was spilled. Mm -hmm. We had a story in which her whole world was spilled and her whole world happened to be her teenage child. We had thoughts and ideas, memories, sounds, talents all being spilled. We also had a bunch of emotions being spilled, disgust, calmness, hatred, happiness, laughter. There was one leadership spill um, I don't know if they're Australian because over here we have yeah. more than one leadership spill going at any, any one given time. And then um, some random objects that were spilled. A
0: bird. A bird was spilled. Mm. Knockers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Someone had a knockers spilling yeah. out of a. shirt. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that story, but mm. I remember it well. That was a shock value story that was quite entertaining. <laughs> we had several rape kits. Yeah, that,
0: I remember those too.
1: Yeah, maybe two or three rape kids, but um, well done. Yeah. So lots of
0: different types of spills. A lot of, of different ways you can spill something and they're all equally valid. I think we're not sticklers for doing things one way or another way. We love to see the creativity.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it turns out there's more than one way to spill a cat.
0: There sure is. <laughs> but you know one thing I didn't see spilled, and listeners of the podcast should know, that this is the way into Amanda's heart, is solo. <laughs> no one spilled any solo. <laughs> Whew, is it getting on in here? <laughs> okay, now let's talk about the anti prompt. And you mentioned that some people had questions about the anti prompt. Yeah. Because yeah. that's our own thing. Like, no one else does an anti prompt. Oh, it's so
1: special. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we, we, no, we should explain it. We've explained it in the past, but um, it, it bears doesn't hurt repeating. Her. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so what is the anti prompt? What is it all about? And what makes a good anti prompt and a bad anti prompt? What's the deal? With the anti prompt. So, this time around, our anti prompt is avoid cliches. Well, break the rule, avoid cliches. Break the rule of yeah. avoid cliches. And so, in writing, there are a number of informal rules mm-hmm. that you follow, rules are there for a reason. They make your writing better. So, what is a cliche? Most people think about a cliche as being like an idiom or a saying, no use crying over spilt milk, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it also just includes like common word combinations. Yeah. And even scenarios that come up. So, common word combinations might be something like the bitter end. Yeah. Or the bare essentials or running amok Mm. or heaven sent. Mm. Just these combinations of words that you see. Again and again and again, and are just these little cliches. And so the reason for avoiding them is to make your writing original, yeah, and different mm. and interesting. Mm.
1: But I mean, coming back to your other point, like a cliche isn't necessarily a string of words. A cliche can be like a trope or a a plot cliche, like the kind of, oh, walking away, like as the explosion is behind you, that kind of thing. There's all sorts of things that can be considered cliche. We have a really open interpretation of what that Mm. is. And we should be clear, like our interpretation of this stuff is always open because we want creativity. So we're not going to go, oh no, you used a cliche phrase, not a cliche situation. No, that's not what this is about. Like if you can uh, make an argument for it, great. That's good enough for us. And there are certainly many ways to show a cliche.
0: So, similar to the avoid adverbs rule that we spoke about last time, the whole point of this is not that you can never use a cliche. No. It's that you need to be aware of them and do it consciously and eliminate them where you can. And understand
1: that the reason for that is that, you know, it makes your writing more original if you can avoid, especially when you're probably talking about cliche phrases Mm. more so here that in your language, that you find your own way to say something and don't take what's essentially a
0: shortcut. Yes. So that's what avoiding cliches is about. So what is the anti-prompt there? What are we looking for when we say break the rule of avoid cliches? And what we're not looking for is... Just fill your story with as many cliches as you can possibly come up with. Yeah,
1: this is meant to be, you've said it before, a challenge, not a license. And I know some people took it that way. And this is not to say that if you used a lot of cliches, your story was bad. That's one way. It is a way of interpreting that antiprompt. And there were people who did that and did it well. And same with the adverbs, who went hard and did it but did it with a reason, right? Like did it with a goal in mind for their story. And I think there were probably people in this round who didn't really have that goal in mind Mm. and so it just came off as what we're trying to avoid, which is that type of shortcut writing where you're being unoriginal as opposed to like I've taken this and really run with it and gone hard and challenged myself and still made a compelling story despite breaking the rules.
0: And I think your thought process as a writer should be something along the lines of, well, how can I break the rule of avoiding cliches? How can I embrace a cliche in one form or another mm. while still making sure that my story is original and mm. is compelling?
1: Well, I guess the point is if the rule is there to say avoid cliches because they can make your writing generic, mm. then you need to break that rule while not having generic writing, like you still got to achieve that objective, right? Or unless you've got some super creative take where that's part of it, but you've still got to have original writing that breaks the rule. So it's tricky, can be tricky, but it certainly was done very well by some people. So we'll get into some of the examples shortly.
0: All right. So, but before we get into the examples, there were some questions that people had on social media around the anti-prompt. So maybe we can look at those questions and see if it sheds a little bit more light on what we're looking for.
1: Sure. So, we had Christoph Mike leal on Twitter who asked, how do you decide whether the anti-prompt was met and met successfully? And do you ever disagree about how an anti-prompt was interpreted? How do you decide yeah. if it was met or not?
0: Yeah. So, as we've said, we're very open yep. and lenient on all of these prompts. The point is not to be a stickler for the rules. The point is really the purpose of the prompts is to inspire you. Mm-hmm. Number one, to make you think and to make sure that you wrote the story for the competition. Mm. But beyond that, for me, as long as you meet the requirement, we consider that a success and you're in basically. But if you can interpret the prompts in a more creative way, in an original way, then that's essentially bonus points.
1: Yeah. I mean, I indicated earlier that is, at least for me, a quick shortcut into winning my favour is like, oh yes, that was a clever idea, a clever take on the prompts. So it can be a good way to do it, but you don't have to be like, hammering every prompt. Like sometimes it's just one that you've really run with and the other two fade into the background. That's completely acceptable Mm. and
0: often appropriate. There's only one story I can think of that we excluded because it actually didn't meet this prompt. Mm. It's actually really hard not to meet this prompt because Mm. you have to write a story... With no cliches, yeah. essentially. But this story really did not have any cliches or any, any way of...
1: We couldn't make an argument no. for it, could we? And maybe there's one to be made, but at the end of the day, you know, it's our call. Mm. We wanted to be lenient. We
0: were open to it. We were looking for it and couldn't find yeah, how Yeah, as long that- as there's something we can point to and say, there is the attempt right there.
1: Yeah. But that's why we have our brief explanation mm. field. So, if you can make an argument for it there that, you yeah. know, is a sound argument, that's enough. Because even, like, you might take a really creative – you're like, oh, I'm going to go edgy and I don't know what they're going to think. Is it quite there? I'm going to say quite right. (laughs) Um, And if you can just – if you're not sure, that's what the field's there for. Chuck it in there. Go, oh, just so you know, here's what I was going
0: for. And You only really need to do that if it is quite obscure and difficult to get. Exactly. Like, if it's
1: obvious, we we will get get it. it. And, again, we'll be lenient and we'll be vouching for you, like, to get through if your story's otherwise a compelling story.
0: And for me, I only really – double check to make sure that they hit the prompts when we're talking about the long list and the short list. Mm, even uh, just the
1: short list, sometimes yeah. I think you, some might slip through the net mm. if you if they're a little bit on the cusp. Yep. But for, short, for winning a cash prize, it has to be clear to us yeah. that you've hit every prompt. So moving on, we had Todd Beaton on Twitter who asked, I'm curious if you guys had certain hopes and expectations about how writers would interpret the anti-prompt and then whether you were pleasantly surprised by the results, disappointed or what you'd hoped.
0: So, just in terms of expectations, I didn't go into this with set ideas of, well, I think people are going to do X, Y, and Z, and I hope mm. they do more like this and not like this. Uh, I think when we come up with the prompts, we try to think of things that are provocative and open, and we really are interested to see what people are going to come up with. Mm. Um, so, I definitely don't have a preferred way of handling things. No. Um, so, I think the best ones were the ones that I didn't, you know, wouldn't have thought of myself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's always really compelling to see someone taking you, oh, yeah, that was clever. That's certainly, again, bonus points if you can do that. And then if you deliver a great story as well, you're almost certainly going to get somewhere with it. I guess I can't help my brain from going. I sometimes think about, oh, well, what would I do if I Mm -hmm. was entering the comp? But that has no bearing on what I want to see. That's more just like I'm challenging myself. How would I handle this? And I guess when we're thinking about it, we like to make sure that it works you know that it makes sense and so we come up with some ideas of how could you handle that kind of thing to make sure it it works but yeah I guess again in terms of hopes and expectations I'm hoping you'll wow us I'm hoping Mm -hmm. you'll come up with some cool thing that I never thought of because you've been challenged and because you've applied your creative energy to it and that we'll see a bunch of different takes and that we'll see edgy stuff that we'll see funny stuff that we'll see You know, just the complete gamut of different takes. And we do. We do every time and we're always surprised by the creative ways in which people handle it. All right. So now we had Matthew on Instagram who asked, what in your view makes for a genuinely effective and worthwhile use of cliche Mm -hmm. in a story? And we'll get to some of the specific takes, but just generally like overall, what were some ways in which people handled that?
0: So for me, I think the best way of, of handling the prompt is to find a way to use a cliche without it being a cliche. Mm. So one way to do that, this is actually similar to one of the ways we spoke about with adverbs is to have a character use the cliche mm. because people do speak in cliches. They say at the end of the day and, mm. and all this kind of thing. So that's one way of doing it. It's a pretty straightforward way of doing it.
1: And there, we saw plenty of stories yes. like that. And this is where I'm saying we had a lot of gum, gumshoe detectives and things like these types of people who would use these types of cliche phrases yeah um we also saw interestingly mostly women <laughs> but mothers giving mm-hmm. like these sort of uh malapro- is it malapropism? yeah of cliche phrases sort of mixed up and jumbled up and giving that as advice to their children we saw that like yes. that's that's an effective use yep. it's true um and relatable and we also had quite a few stories involving either dementia mm-hmm. or yeah. like head injury or other reasons why people were a bit jumbled up and so they weren't using the cliches necessarily correctly yeah. they were using them incorrectly yep. and that was a great valid take on the prompt one thing i just wanted to call out and i because <laughs> i was expecting to see this and when i saw it i was like yes There were nine dark and stormy nights Mm -hmm. or uses of that cliche and that was fun because that's the we're all authors, right? That's the the classic author cliche. And so, you know, that was a good one to choose if you went. I mean, it wasn't an original one to choose, I guess. Several people did it, but it was appropriate. And and in most cases like that was work in a way that challenged it Mm. as opposed to just beginning the story in that way. It was challenging that cliche and sort of making fun of it. So that was a good way of doing it as well. Um, so, once we decided our winner and everything, I logged back onto the forum and it was great to see everybody supporting each other. So, if you're not, if you didn't enter the comp this time around, uh, we have the new Not Quite Right forum where everyone can jump on and share their stories and ask questions of each other and get to know each other. And we... We're on the forum before the comp, but once it launched, we had to get Mm. the hell out of there. So, I didn't see this stuff until recently, but it was really great to see everybody sort of tossing this idea around. What is the anti-prompt and helping each other understand it and running their ideas up the flagpole? Like, is this stupid? You know, help me out here And, and being quite supportive. So, I just wanted to, I guess, go through a couple of questions that appeared on the forum to give, you know, our answer to those questions. So, we had Gabriel who said, can I change a cliche and still call it a cliche? Sure. So, an example, better never than late yeah. or not all gold glitters, yeah. something
0: like that. I think absolutely. That's that's valid and that's creative. And that, that's, again, a way of using a cliche without it being a cliche. For sure.
1: Completely valid way of and absolutely gets through the gates. That kind of thing. Again, we can see what you're trying to do and, and it's absolutely valid. And Kate McDee, also on the forum, responded to Gabriel and said, well, I've used jack of all trades and mistress of none. Mm-hmm. So, I hope it's Okay, and yes, it is is okay. That's great. Another question, Sandra Tom Jones on the forum who asked, when is a cliche a cliche? And we've covered this already. So, Sandra had started Googling, like, what's a cliche, getting different lists, sort Mm. of starting maybe to get a bit confused by what exactly do you mean by cliche? As we've indicated, it could be a cliche phrase, cliche part of speech, cliche topic. You can even have – we didn't bring this up before. Cliché characters. Cliché characters, Mm. exactly like the jock. So – Absolutely, all of those things are valid. And please, in future, consider it open. Mm -hmm. Like if you interpret it one way and you can argue for that, we're on your side.
0: So let's look at some examples from people's submissions of uh, how they avoided cliches or didn't avoid cliches, avoided avoiding cliches, (laughs) if if you will. The first example I have is from The Legitimate Clichés of Lorna and Bill by Erin brandt Filiter, And this writer used the cliches in a literal sense. A few other stories I read also did a similar thing, Mm. but this one did it quite well and quite extensively, I think, as well. So what I mean by that is someone was literally spilling milk, Mm. for example, and literally sweeping flour under a rug. And so it's a bunch of cliches. Again, this is using cliches, but they're not cliches Mm. because just sweeping something under a rug literally is not a cliche. Mm. Very clever. Another one was Rebel Rebel by Mm -hmm. Ella McAuliffe. Yep, I remember that one. And she had a character called Cleo Shea. Yeah. Or Cliché. And, and the
1: story was all about being told to avoid yes. cliche because yes. she's a bully or she's... Weird. Yeah, or yes. whatever it was. So, it fed into the plot as well, that the whole idea of avoiding clichés. So, that was clever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of character names, we also had 1976 Plymouth Beach by Francis Greenleaf, who had a character who was given the nickname because they used clichés mm-hmm. in their dialogue a lot. Cliché Guevara. yep. yep. <laughs> Which got a laugh out of me. That was quite clever. So, then there was The Attraction by Philippa Freeguard. And what I really liked about Philippa's story was that she linked cliches to fairground rides. Mm. So, again, we sort of had a literal take on the cliches where we had, like, on a carousel, someone getting off their high horse, for example, giving up the ghost train, and a character called Storm who was riding the teacups. And I really thought that was quite a cute and clever way to do it, too. So, that, that gave me a smile. Yeah. So, a good example of finding a way where cliches really fit and feel appropriate was the 43rd Tuesday by Tanya Edlington. Mm -hmm. So, Tanya used cliches like as meaningless platitudes, like when you're coming out of a relationship and anybody who's, you know, come out of a relationship has probably had that experience like, oh, there's plenty more fish in the sea and, you know, I'm not sure if that's one that was specifically used in that story, but just... The idea that that's when you get to hear this shit and it's just washing over you and you're like, this is bullshit. That feeling, Mm. I guess, evoking that, that was an effective way to use them that really felt real to me and relatable. Another one, and this is a fun one, was Dirty Talk by Sky Joiner because another situation in which people might use cliche phrases is, you know, dirty talk. And that's what happened in this story. So finding a natural Mm. fit for the cliches was clever.
0: There was The Piss-Up by Patricia Fitzgerald, in which they couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery, literally. Um, So, you know, taking a cliché and turning that into your plot.
1: Another one where the clichés were taken literally was Death or Worms by A.A. Long, uh, who used the clichés as plot beats. So, again, these things were actually happening. But it was... Done in a way that wasn't quite so in your face. So, I think someone was taking the bait, for example, mm-hmm. but they were it was actually talking about bait. They were going fishing and yep. it just got woven in yep. as opposed to being like, oh, they took the bait. Um, and I thought that was quite clever too. Another one that took it really literally and took it to the nth degree, and I do like to see people really leaning into things and challenging themselves, was Every Fiber by Christy Hartman. Mm-hmm. So, Christy really used the phrase like, I love you with every fiber of my being and then went with it. Right? Yeah. So we're, t- we're talking about different types of fibers, yes. different fabrics to describe a relationship from beginning to end. So there were different colors and like using the texture of the fibers to mm. compare against what it feels like in a relationship. So we had itchy coils of green wool great at my cheeks when you hold her hand. So that's jealousy coming through in, in the itchy coils of green wool. But the more I pull, the deeper they cut into my skin. So I guess taking that cliche and then like really going beyond what is now cliche into something completely original now because you've gone to the extreme is another really great way to do it yeah if you can pull it off
0: and that's a great concept and it's one that if you think of you have basically you've got your story
1: yeah like,
0: <laughs> it's written itself
1: yeah. <laughs> you just have to find the great metaphors that you want to run with
0: so you mentioned earlier there were a few stories that used things like dementia or memory loss Mm. um, or other conditions essentially to have usually mothers (laughs) getting phrases mixed up. Mm. So one of those was Memory Lane by Shannon Mackey. One of the phrases that she used was um, someone was about to sing on stage and her mother says break an egg instead of break a leg.
1: And specifically that mother had English as a
0: second language and
1: so it's playing on that and using that character to expose the anti-prompt I guess. I guess there's this range of people who, who are finding natural ways to incorporate clichés somehow. There's people who are subverting the clichés yeah. either by changing them or somehow using it as a setup for like a joke or a play on words kind of thing. And then there's the people who took it super literally. And mm. But another kind of one that I just saw once, one example I, I believe, was Revenge is a Dish Best Served Cold by Anna Fulger who used cliches as spells. Mm -hmm. So, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night was a spell that made a storm begin. So, that was, you know, a a unique take on that. And then, uh, I guess one that subverted expectations was Summer Heat by Mark Carswell, who turned the cliché back on itself. Cliché in this case being, it's not you, it's me. Yep. Uh, And I'll just read the line. This is the final lines of the story. Ben, she says, as she puts her sunglasses on, listen carefully, it's not you, it's me. He snorts. His mouth contorts in contempt. You may laugh, Ben, but it's not a cliche. I'm putting myself first for once. Novel, isn't it? <laughs> and I just, that last line, novel, isn't yeah. it? It made me think differently. Like, and I think it really packaged it up nicely to show how Mark was subverting that cliche. Mm. So those, those are the examples. Those are the things that I guess stood out to us as the more creative takes on the anti-prompt. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and I'm sure there's just as many, if not more, again, different yeah. ways to do it. And I hope to see more unique and creative takes the next time around. But look, again, like, we don't want the creative take to, like, overpower the yeah. story either. And and maybe some of these did that. Maybe some of these were all about the clever idea and less about the story. And ultimately, if you – like, you might get far with that, but – If you want to win, it has to be a good story. So, if you can't find a way to tell a good story, then you're in trouble. So, in that case, simplify by all means
0: and dial it back. So, now that we've spoken about the prompts, we've talked about what we like and what we don't like, let's actually dig into some examples. Mm. So, there were two people who signed up for the Daredevil option and that means that we read your story out live, Mm. so to speak, on the podcast. And critique it live. And the two stories we have are The Star Crossed Lovers of Living Dead Girls by M. Lee Gray. And Pluck the Day as It Is Ripe by Samantha Ryan. Let's read those stories out and talk about what we think. I'm
1: excited. So I hope, Samantha and M, that you are ready for this. Yeah. You know, make sure you're in a in a frame of mind to be challenged on the things that may help to improve your stories. And thanks for putting yourselves out there because in doing this, in critiquing your story, which not everybody would be brave enough to do, you're allowing other people to gain some insight into things that might help them too. So, yeah. thank you.
0: So, who, who are we going to start with? Who's our first victim? Well, let's just take them in order, which is a random order. The star Lovers of Living Dead Girls by M. Lee Gray. My truck crushed Phil. Leslie crouches behind him and floods a bowl with water, so half of it spills onto the sidewalk. The twister never happens on a dark and stormy night. It drops out of a clear blue sky and sucks everything under the sun into its funnel. It goes without saying that Phil dies in every version of this life, and he takes another piece of my heart with him. What happens when my love is gone? Is it better to feel something or nothing? It's written in the stars. I'm Phil's Sunday morning. Sunday comes off his tongue, so it sounds like Sunday, when he whispers in my ear. He kisses his way down my neck, down my chest, down, 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 until nothing in the world exists but us. It doesn't matter that I'm only his secret. In my heart, I know, I know, I know, he'll see the light, and we'll be together forever. As luck would have it, I'm your dog in this next life. Leslie gets down on all fours and laps water from the bowl. I'm a cat person. Leslie clips a leash to her t-shirt so it dangles behind her like a tail. Like clockwork, before the twister, the pregnancy test is always positive. Phil always hopes for a boy, then a girl, then... There's always another then. He wonders if the baby is his at all. Does he even know what type of girl I am in the first place? I'm ruining his life. Don't I know he's married? At this point, he's already got one foot in the grave. I love him and hate him all the same time but there's nothing I can do. Destiny is out of my hands. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just name me Spot. Tufts of fur sprout from Leslie's t-shirt. We're back to square one. Phil won't remember me. He'll stand up and walk off into his next life. I'll cry like a baby until one day, it happens just like that, I'll miss him. I'll want him, need him. Day in, day out, I'll search for him. And when I find him, well, I know what happens next. On all fours, Leslie starts digging. She's scooping handfuls of dirt until she's so deep in the hole I can't see her anymore. Beggars can't be choosers. It's better than nothing. Leslie scrambles back out of the hole, curls at my feet, and gnaws on the end of a femur. Second place for another lifetime is a punch in the gut. Can Phil change? Will he change? I'm at my wit's end. Forgive and forget? Not again. All's fair in love and war, Leslie says grab his feet. You won't forget where you buried us, right? In the hole with Phil, I'm light as a feather. Leslie covers us with dirt, sealing us in our own private universe. Six feet deep, I'll always be Phil's number one girl. So, initial reactions? Initially, I mean, I had to read this a few times, I don't know about you, to work out what was going on. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those stories that has something hidden inside of it and you've got to try and work out what it is. And there were actually quite a lot of stories that did that. And I think sometimes writers can fall into a trap of trying to be creative by obscuring what it is that they're talking about. Mm. And that can work Mm -hmm. to a point, but you have to let the reader in a little bit. Mm. And I feel with a lot of this story, there are some points where it's difficult to understand what's going on. And it's difficult to get the specifics about who these people are. Mm. What are the relationships between
1: them? Who are they them? to each other? Yeah. yeah. And, and you say you've got to let the reader in. And I will say it. I felt on the outside of this story, mm. even after rereading, I felt I had a lot of questions, but not in a way that felt provocative, but in a way that felt frustrating. Yep. You know, I've got an analytical brain. I want to understand things. And while I appreciate when things can be, you know, a little bit mysterious. Mm. I don't think that this was mysterious so much as, I hate to say it, a little bit confusing. Mm. And I think probably the biggest issue for me there was who is Leslie? Who are these people to each other? I can sort of allow the mystery of what's going on here with, I guess, some sort of um, reincarnation kind of, you know, or this Groundhog Day kind of thing, right? Like I get that that's what's happening although some of the mechanics of that weren't clear to me. Yeah. For example, where does Leslie get a bowl and water to fill it and and all of a sudden there's a leash and, like, where are these things appearing from? That's sort of the mechanics. I can – I can let that slide. It's a little bit unsettling, I guess, as a reader to sort of try and understand, well, why is that not explained to me? Or like, I don't have a reason, a logical reason for that that's given in the story. But like, I need to know who these characters are to care about them, to care what's happening in these relationships.
0: Um, So, I think that's the core of it. And mm. there are three characters in this story. We have Leslie, who is the person who's acting like a dog. Mm. We have Phil. Or transforming into a dog. Yeah. Mm. We have Phil who is the person who's been crushed by the truck. And we have a narrator who seems to be a third person but who is never really named. Mm. You get the connection of, between her and Phil. It's a woman. Yes, it's we know woman. that much. Yeah, But it's difficult to kind of gather the details about who Leslie is uh, as a person We know that Phil is having an affair with her, with Mm. the narrator. Mm -hmm. But who exactly is Leslie? It's not clear that she's the wife in this No,
1: I didn't interpret Leslie as being the wife. To be honest, I interpreted Leslie as a bit of an unusual, like an anomaly. Like, why are you there? Mm. What purpose do you serve except perhaps to have this (laughs) interesting idea of someone turning into a dog in the next life? And I am sure... But Emily Gray knows how Leslie yeah, fits in. exactly. You know, I'm sure there's a reason. But even now, reading it again, I don't know yeah. what that reason is. How does shifting into a dog then impact the relationship? Mm. Um,
0: and I think that I actually thing that, that shifting into a dog can be quite powerful because it's really strange. And I really love reading stories 100%. where something just absurd and strange happens. 100%. But we don't get the why and we don't get the emotional connection mm. with the characters. Like, is there something that makes a dog relevant to the Yeah, to the story, so there's no
1: the payoff to it. It's kind of just yeah. there floating on its own as mm. this distinct part, um, but it needs to be an intrinsic part yeah. for that to really fit. But it's also quite a change in tone that I yeah. don't know was appropriate for this story. So, like, lately I've been getting really stuck into Edgar Allan Poe's idea of the single effect, right? Which is talking about how, and he's talking about short stories, so Mm. it's super appropriate for flash fiction, possibly even more so, that you are attempting to evoke just a single emotion and that everything in your story needs to lead to that. All right. Now, that's just one way of doing things, but let's just analyze the story from that perspective for a second. Most of this story, and if we go back to the title too, we're talking about Star-Crossed Lovers, Mm. right? To me, the emotion of this story, the heart of this story is the idea of always being someone's second best forever and ever and the shock of that. So we start with a twister, right? We start with this twister coming out of the clear blue sky and crushing, well, in this case, Phil, but I can see a metaphor where if you're in a relationship with someone I've never been in a relationship with a married person who wasn't married to me, but I can imagine that if you're the other woman, uh, you might entertain ideas that one day you will be the woman. And when something shifts, in this case, a pregnancy comes along and it's like a twister comes out of the clear blue sky and basically slaps you down and nope, you're all, you'll always be the second woman, that can be really shocking yeah. and devastating. And that to me is the emotion that this story was going for. Yeah. And then to switch that out now to be like now we're talking someone's quite comically really turning into a dog, like the tufts of fur are sprouting from t T-shirt, that's a pretty bizarre mm. kind of concept. It's like a, a real juxtaposition of ideas that, make, to me, don't serve each other. They're almost two separate stories. One's a comedy and one's this sort of really quite cutting view of what it's like to be the other woman.
0: Yeah, and, and it is complicated a lot by the fact that there are two women and you can't hone in on the unnamed protagonist mm. and what her story yeah, is Yeah, who and is she? Yeah, she you- doesn't even
1: have a name. Like, why doesn't she have a name? Like, mm. oh, I mean, she doesn't because she's not talking about herself like Elmo in the third person, right? But we as a reader, <laughs> we as a reader need to meet her. And we haven't really, not, mm. not really, yeah. not in the way
0: that we've met the other two. And yet she's the heart of the story. And Leslie, you get even less about her. And I think apart from the fact that she turns into a dog, there's really nothing that you can say about Leslie.
1: No. Who is she? Why is she there? What's her relationship to Phil Mm -hmm. as well? Why are all three of them together, seemingly traveling together? I don't know. Are they traveling together? The truck crushes Phil. I don't, this is another thing. I don't understand the mechanics of that. What I will say about the opening line of the truck crushing Phil is that that's a good choice in a way. That's really shocking. Yeah. Right? But, and both of us independently made this note and we were conferring before we began, but we actually think maybe the next bit might have been- The better first line. The better fit for the first line, which is, so the current first line is, my truck crushed Phil. Yeah. And what we're suggesting might have been a a better choice was, the twister never happens on a dark and stormy night. It drops out of a clear blue sky and sucks everything under the sun into its funnel. Yeah. And again, like for me, that's harkening back to the metaphor itself. That's really what you're trying to say. You're not trying to say your truck crush Phil. That is a component of the plot yeah. um, and it's shocking by all means. But introducing the twister first, I actually like it as a better line. Like it's, it's written a more eloquently, but it's also setting up yes. what happens to Phil. You don't necessarily need to hide why a truck mm. crush Phil. I mean, that's a way of doing things for sure, but... In this case, I actually think it would have probably worked better to set up that. And then there's the shock. Very quickly, like the next line maybe, oh, that's what happens with the twister.
0: Yeah. And reading that first line as well, the first and second line, my truck crushed Phil, Leslie crouches beside him and floods a bowl with water, so half of it spills onto the sidewalk. That first sentence, immediately you're thinking, who's Phil? What's Mm. happened to him? What's going on? And there's no explanation. No, we've and jumped straight now, to Leslie. Leslie is doing something that you don't really understand mm. what is happening, flooding a bowl with water, so half of it fills onto the sidewalk.
1: Again, this is where I'm saying there's two stories going yeah. on at the same time. You've set up two dramatic questions for us there. What's happened to Phil, yeah. uh, which arguably is the more compelling question, and then what's going on with Leslie? Where did this bowl come from? What's the bowl for? And all of that is given to us in very quick succession and not paid off. Neither of them really paid off until a bit later in the story.
0: Yeah. So then going on to the next line, it goes without saying that Phil dies in every version of, of this life and he takes another piece of my heart with him. So what's being set up here is this whole astrological thing. It says star-crossed lovers, every version of this life, we're getting introduced to this idea of reincarnation, mm-hmm. but the rules of this universe are not really clear. Like mm. how this is clearly not the way that our world yeah. functions in any way that we can understand or relate to. You say reincarnation is not something that we can understand. We kind of
1: do, right? We have an understanding of what reincarnation looks like as a concept. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is that someone dies and then they either immediately or sometime after that are reincarnated as either another human or another living being. Yeah. But in this story, they're not all dying at the same time. Yeah. And our main character doesn't seemingly doesn't die. We've all the only person who we've seen die is Phil, truck, who's tra- oh. he was crushed by the truck. Well, we've assumed we've he's dead. We've died, assumed yeah. he's dead. And so, why is Leslie reincarnating more quickly than Phil? Mm-hmm. Why is our main character not reincarnating yet? And it's implied that she's going to be buried and killed, yeah. and then will reincarnate by Leslie, who will who is already the reincarnation. The reason I guess I'm bringing this up is because. That kind of stuff is a real stumbling block for readers and it's frustrating and it's like, I want to understand as a reader, like that's what I'm seeking. I'm seeking to meet you in the middle and to hear your worldview through your story and to meet you there. And I can't do that because I don't understand Mm. how this is all working.
0: So the next lines, what happens when my love is gone? Is it better to feel something or nothing? So, look, at this point, I think the reader has too many questions Mm. to really connect with an emotional statement. So, I think that kind of reflection might be better served coming a bit later once Mm. the reader is able to say, well, okay, now I I know what's happening. Now you're explaining how you feel about the situation. So, I think too, like this is something that we
1: talk about many times is like to try and avoid that interiority as well. Mm -hmm. So, you're saying put it later, maybe don't have it at all. What struck me about those lines, because they the thing is they're beautiful, right? There's something in there. Like those are quite deep questions that you're asking us to ponder there, which is great. However, again, it's a tonal shift. So we've gone from like this person's stating what's happening, showing us the scene, and then now we're in her head, now we're out and something's weird's going on with Leslie. And I think it's a bit too much hopping around. What I would have liked to have seen there instead was, answering some of those questions for us so that we could move on to the next part of the story invested in the characters and what happened next and satisfied that we understood enough about how this world works for it to be believable when she starts turning into a dog and for that mm. to still be shocking for sure but in a way that feels real and satisfying and, and in you that understand story why world. it's happening yes yeah. exactly and i think as an extension of that like why apart from and i would call it comedic effect of Leslie turning into a dog, whether that's the intention of that or not, that was the impact on me that it was shockingly funny. Why is Leslie filling a bowl as a first priority and lapping it up? What's that got to do with anything apart from, I guess, to reveal to us that she's slowly turning into a dog, but why are we having that slowly revealed to us? Like what's the payoff that you're hoping to achieve with that in the reader? Have a think about that. I don't know. I mean, Emily Gray said, hit me. You know, mm-hmm. she was willing to to take the tough criticism, but I feel like this is not a compliment sandwich. This is a shit sandwich, right? Let's tell Emily Gray some of the stuff that she did really well.
0: Yeah. So look in the next uh, paragraph. Well, let me read it. It's written in the stars. I'm Phil's Sunday morning. Sunday comes off his tongue. So it sounds like Sunday when he whispers in my ear. I do like that piece yeah. because I, I think it's actually really hard to do, to be succinct and come up with a detail that perfectly paints like i know phil now i know Mm. know what he's like Mm -hmm. after just that one detail yep so i think that's really well done
1: i agree that was a line that stood out to me too so now i would like to share this as a a Mm. example of what to do when you bring a character onto the stage of your story to have a detail like that a different detail not he had brown hair and blue eyes right something about him that gives us a little bit of background makes us feel something makes us feel like We know that guy now. That was expertly done, I would say. Very well done.
0: Okay. And then so there is a a semi-explicit scene here (laughs) of of kissing down until nothing in the world exists but us. It doesn't matter that I'm only his secret. In my heart, I know, I know, I know, I know he'll see the light and we'll be together forever. So I think that is a great way of establishing the relationship between Mm -hmm. the two. And I really love this idea of calling back This is so much better than like a train of thought in the character's head. Like it's
1: a flashback. It's a flashback. But it's a dramatic way of
0: showing it. Yeah. And in that paragraph, now you know the relationship between them. And it's also implied that there is some infidelity going on there. Mm.
1: And it's implied in a way that's clear. So, here's where the balance tips in favour, where we're saying like you've taken the reader, you've let them in, you know, to what you're trying to say. It was clear that they're in an extramarital relationship and that that is at the heart of the conflict in this story. And so I would like to see that part move like right to the front of the Mm. story, basically. And this is me assuming that is the aim of this story and it may not be. And ultimately that's Emily Gray's creative decision of
0: what to say in this story. Okay. So the next paragraph, like clockwork before the twist of the pregnancy test is always positive. Phil always hopes for a boy, then a girl, and there's always another then he wonders if the baby is his at all. Does he even know what type of girl I am in the first place? I'm ruining his life. Don't I know he's married? At this point, he's already got one foot in the grave. I love him and I hate him all at the same time, but there's nothing I can do. Destiny is out of my hands. The point of the pregnancy test and the repeated pregnancy test—I'm not quite sure. And and yeah. at this point, he's already got one foot in the grave. I'm not sure what that means.
1: Yeah, I mean, are these different versions of the life? Like, for example, yeah. sometimes he's happy and excited for a boy. Sometimes he wants a girl. Sometimes, mm. like to me, it reads as though these are different lives being lived and in some versions he's really angry about it and in others maybe he's older I don't know but in every case there's always a pregnancy test it always comes before the twister and then presumably Phil always dies with I guess the other secondary impact or the main impact from the perspective of this story of our main character also being like crushed emotionally at Mm. the same time like Phil essentially saying either dying or saying I don't want a bar of you or this baby but again like why is the pregnancy test always the case? Because it seems like it's coming as a surprise to her every time, despite the fact she knows it happens every time. Why is the twister always happening? Why does Phil always die? Yeah. And, again, we can understand this idea of fate, right, and you can reincarnate and you still meet the same fate. Like I understand that that's what we're trying to achieve here, but at the same time, logically, why do pregnancy tests and like surprise pregnancies Mm. and twisters happen every time but not Phil's same reaction every time or not the lead up, like I guess the relationship and how it comes together. Why is that not the same? Why can Leslie, some, who we don't know who that is, sometimes be a dog, but presumably you are always a person or at least always somehow in a state in which you can be in a romantic relationship with Phil. So, I mean, that's I guess that's the ongoing theme of this one is that We just have way more questions than answers. And I think in Flash, maybe one question to be lingering on is probably enough. It's probably better to err on the side of clarity because I, as a reader, don't necessarily feel satisfied by mystery over and above being satisfied by a good story, like a clear story that makes sense to me that I go, oh, relatable. To me, that I think would get me more than a mystery.
0: For me personally, I don't mind – I like puzzles. I like putting the pieces together, but the pieces have to be there. Yeah, and they have to fit. You have to be able to find them. Even if I re- read it twice and they're there and it kind of comes together, then that might be satisfying, mm. but they have to be there.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's fair to say they weren't there in this piece. And, and I'm quite confident that they're there for Emily Gray, the yes. author of the story who gets it, who knows how this world works, but there's two sides to this equation and – the weirder you go in a way, the more you need to take us along the ri- for the ride with you. Mm. I want to go on the weird rides, like sign me up, but make sure like I've got my ticket and everything to go on the ride with you. I would say there's some really nice moments in the story mm-hmm. and so to me like it had a lot of potential. Like I yeah. can see that this is a good writer with an ability to like evoke emotion and evoke the senses and just draw me into a scene. So I would say absolutely ticks in those boxes. I'd love to see this story reworked. I'd love to see Mm. what it could become with a little bit more clarity where we get to go on that journey a little bit more and get the
0: emotional payoff of what you're trying to say in this story. There's something in there that is interesting, and, and like I feel like it just needs to come out, and it needs to be the focus of the story, and, and everything. Like you said, with Pose, it's not Pose Law, Pose Law, or something else, but, <laughs> but um, the single effect. The single effect. Everything needs to be driving towards that thing. You need to identify what is that kind of core thing.
1: And I think that to me, that is the theme of this. These situations where someone is having an extramarital affair, they're the other woman, and always feeling second best, and then maybe getting their hopes up, getting their hopes up, and then those hopes being dashed. That's the fate part, right? That's yeah. the reincarnation part. Every time I go back to this guy, I get my hopes up mm-hmm. and then I get crushed again and it feels like death. You yeah. killed my hope, right? Yeah. But I come back again and, oh, what do you know? It happens again. And no matter what happens, the ultimate one, I guess, is the pregnancy and then it's over for good because he doesn't want to borrow you anymore. But this this idea that you don't learn your lesson and again, it comes back in the title of star Lovers. And I think that really is a compelling yeah, and interesting, moving kind of piece. And I'd love to see that come to the forefront more, potentially at the expense of this idea of Leslie and what that kind of mm. reincarnation looks like. Make maybe a different creative choice that – further explores that one single effect that further explores the idea of just being trapped in this cycle of red flags that you're ignoring i'm not sure what that would look like but i guess that's the challenge like how can we craft it so that all the
0: pieces are moving in the same direction you do have to simplify like that in flash fiction mm. because if there is a larger story that you have in your head Emily, believe that there are these three people and there's this whole backstory and this whole history it's going to be a challenge to fit that into 500 mm. words in a way that you still say what you want to need to say. But so. you
1: know what? I have full faith that she can do it because if you can bring that a character of fill out in mm. one very brief yeah, line, true. then why can you not, in the same way, evoke an entire past relationship yeah. in just with a detail, a, a single choice of detail that immediately is recognisable to everybody? What you have going for you here is that you know, in a sense, you're in the real modern world we understand like the physicality of the environment like what I thought was a good choice was that we are just looking at this one little snapshot there is one scene and there's stuff happening that's great certainly choosing someone being crushed by a truck and then the aftermath of that is enough like that is flash Mm. fiction right so that was a really excellent choice so I think there's a lot here to work with Mm. I think it's about maybe being clear to yourself like within yourself what am I saying here what do I want this to be and another st- real strength here i would say is the use of the dramatization there isn't a lot of interiority here yep. you know it's not cliche by any means there's no oh here we go again there's no sense of that like i'm on a wild ride from the first sentence to the last and and so that's a real strength of this and if executed well, could really make you stand out Mm. because it's like, oh, remember that one? (laughs) Yeah. Either where, you know, the twister came and it was a big shock or where the woman turned into the dog or just where I felt really sad because I was reflecting on what it's like to always be second best. Like all of those things could really have an impact on a reader. It's about choosing which one
0: and just letting Mm. that be the one that lingers. So, Thank you, Emily Gray. Hopefully, we helped you out a little bit mm. the story and we did enjoy it. And thanks for taking the bullet on this one because-
1: 100%. You are brave. It's hard. Man, I can't take
0: feedback like that.
1: I'd be crying in a
0: corner. <laughs> don't be crying in a corner. There's, no, there's a lot to like about this story. Absolutely. Um, and it's always a process of improvement.
1: So, let's go with our next daredevil. Samantha Ryan with her story, Pluck the Day as it is Ripe. It was hard for Clancy to tell in the mirror what the words really looked like, because they were backwards, and that made it considerably more difficult. He strained to look without the mirror, but couldn't see much. Looks good to me, he lied, tugging his pants back up. Great, the heavily tattooed teenager replied as he motioned for Clancy to climb up on the table. Clancy did as instructed, but the kid pointed down at Clancy's pants. Unsure, he glanced down, and then back up to figure out what the problem was. You'll need to take your suit off. Oh, Clancy realised, reaching down under him to unhook his belt and pull the slacks past his bottom. Better? Sure, the unenthusiastic kid offered as he reached over to get his machine. Unsure of what to expect, Clancy tried to stay as still as he could, starting to wonder if he should have brought someone with him. But this was something he was doing for himself, and no one else would understand. He was alone in this world, and he would never forget that. The machine started whirring, and Clancy breathed out, remembering the blog he had read of tips for your first tattoo. Remember to breathe, it had read. How could anyone forget to breathe? But here he was, clenching up and forgetting to breathe all at once. The tip of the needle ripped into his skin, and it hurt about as much as he was expecting. After a moment, the pain shifted into something he could only describe as scratching a three-day-old sunburn. Shit, he gasped as he gripped the edge of the little bench. You alright? Yeah, I'm good. Clancy started looking at the designs on the wall to distract himself. Oops. Oops, what's oops? Oops isn't the thing you want to hear from your tattoo artist. Just a little spill, the kid mumbled, as he rolled his chair backwards to frantically grab towels. Spill? He tried to look. All good, please be still. The artist didn't say anything else until he was done nearly 40 minutes later and instructed Clancy to stand and take a look. Clancy's butt had long gone numb, and he was surprised how little he felt. He shuffled in small steps to the mirror due to his pants wrapped around his ankles, and ran into the same problem as before, backwards letters and all. Here he started, handing over his cell phone. Can you take a picture so I can see it better? The artist stood back and snapped a few pictures of Clancy's ass before holding the phone close so he could see. It was there, clear as day. Carpe diem spread wide across his entire butt, one word per cheek. Perfect, Clancy declared, delighted at the idea, knowing that this was the punch in the dick his life needed to get back on track. It's all uphill from here. All uphill for sure. The end. Thank you, Samantha. What I want to do before we get into the critique on this is to share what Samantha shared in the explanation field. Oh, yeah. Because it gives a little bit more context to what she was going for. Now, I don't necessarily think people need to do this, but we had it in this case, so let's run with it. Samantha said, I wanted to use the idea of a cliché on a base level of the main character getting a very cliché tattoo... And push it a little with him being over the top with this being his first tattoo and the attitude of the artist being a bit of a cliche as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going for like the artist the cliche, cliche. Yeah. Yep. And the situational cliche and the cliche tattoo. So we're just really hammering it. So brave move there to go. Any one of those would have been enough. But I get it. So we've got all of those. And and in fact it was one of the few, I think, well not few, but that used the cliche of a type of character. Yeah. Apart from the detectives and the maybe the mothers. It was an interesting one, a unique one. We didn't see any other tortured artists in there.
0: I think it's quite good actually, because it's not, neither a cliche phrase or a literary cliche. It's more of a like a social cliche, like yeah. it's a real life cliche, but not necessarily one that you pick up a book and oh, here's another story about someone who's getting a no, tattoo. Exactly. So it's a kind of a cliche that doesn't uh, rub you the wrong way when you're reading a story. Mm. So the story opens. It, it was hard for Clancy to tell in the mirror what the words really look like because they were backwards and that made it considerably more difficult he strained to look without the mirror but couldn't see much so look i think as an opening i felt that the same thing was being said yeah a maybe few three times, times so yeah it was hard for clancy to tell in the mirror what the words really looked like is what that's you're it. trying to that's say that's the statement yeah because they were backwards and that made it considerably more difficult is a repetition of the fact that it's difficult mm. And then the second sentence is, he's strained to look without the mirror but couldn't see much. So, still he can't see. So, we
1: need to tighten that right up. Yes. And that's totally doable. And I think maybe the reason why it's been repeated there is to kind of set it up and almost deliver the punchline, almost in that first little section. Mm. Like, why is he looking? We're setting up that he's looking at something and then we're not fully but somewhat explaining that. And I'm not sure that that really adds value here yet because we reveal about the tattoo a little bit later on and I I don't think it needs to be done. You can leave that question hanging until we find out it's a tattoo. That's fine. I don't think that's one of those questions that would be too much because you
0: are, it is explained. To be clear to the readers, because you're not uh, looking at the words, carpe diem is misspelt. Yes, okay. So, the fact that he's looking in the mirror and he can't read the words properly is setting that up. And the vibe I got from Clancy in this story was nihilistic or mm. depressive mm. because he, yeah. he says he's all alone in this world and he will never forget that. And he's kind of going into this scenario not really caring what he gets tattooed mm. onto him or what it looks like. And I found myself reading through the story wanting to understand the character of Clancy mm. better because I think that's really what we want to know as a reader is not just the things that happen here and it is a comedic story, mm. but mm-hmm. why is he there? Who, who is he? Is he doing this in response to something? You know, like you said about Post Malone, who hurt you? is basically what we want to know. Like, why does no one like you? There's something there that I think we could get more, we could squeeze a little bit more out of that character and understand Mm. why they're there and develop that emotional connection with Mm. the character.
1: I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that this was intended to be a comedic story. Oh, yeah. Because the punchline is there of the misspelled tattoo. Yeah. However, I would say I didn't experience it as a comedic story. Mm. Honestly, on first reading, I wondered if that was a typo of Carpe Mm. Diem rather than getting that that's the punchline of the joke. And maybe that just reflects on me. But, yes, it was the tone. The tone wasn't there. And because Clancy doesn't react to the misspelled, because nobody reacts, we're left as a reader going, hang on, is that what I think it is? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And so, therefore, as a punchline, it doesn't work because there's no punch to me. Like where's the ha-ha moment of like, oh, Clancy got served, you know, he got the wrong tattoo. Honestly, I have to hate Clancy for that to be funny because if that happened to a friend of mine, I'd be upset for, well, no, it'd be pretty fucking funny if my friend got the wrong tattoo. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the tone's quite, as you say, like a bit depressive. Yeah. You know, like what's he doing there? And he's kind of just going along with it, not invested in the tattoo whatsoever. So, I mean, to some extent... That kills the payoff too because, like, that kills the punchline. If he doesn't really care about it, I didn't even yeah. look at it. Like, yeah. who cares if it's misspelled? Let's say it. What was your favourite bit? We know. Come on. It was my favourite bit too. The
0: punch prompt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> like, the punch in the dick. I mean, I think I just knocked it up like an extra point just for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Same. Um, I mean, we are coming across as just completely. No, you know, it's great to read something that is just out there yeah like,
1: and it's funny like yeah. if you're going for comedic tone that yeah. works and honestly i know a clancy who deserves a punch in the dick <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but not in like he's we're taking it in a good way here like getting your life back on track anyway we won't go into that but that delivered comedic effect
0: yeah in fact that's the note i have to myself here on the page is, is punch in the dick is great i wish the whole piece had been written in that tone mm, like, for sure and before. if you're
1: setting clancy up as this guy's like oh this is what my life really needs mm. as opposed to like oh whatever if he's like, oh, I'm going in here and it sees the day, right? Or yeah, pluck exactly. the day, we should say. Yeah. He's plucking the day, if you will, but he's not. He's yeah. just there. He's like, should I brought someone? Yeah. Nah, no, no, who cares? Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to sit here for 40 minutes and it hurts a little bit, but whatever. And then like, oh, yeah, cool, tattoo. No, let's have, let's set him up. Why is he here? Like, as you said, who hurt you? Why are you here? Who are you proving wrong with this tattoo? You know, what's it going to achieve for you once you've got this tattoo? How are you going to feel? Let's set all that up. And then when it's delivered as the wrong spelling, especially the wrong spelling of seize the day or pluck yeah. the day, that's going to really like hit home. Yeah.
0: Okay. So moving through, there's the scene where after he's looked in the mirror, he's he says, looks good to me, pulls his pants up. And then the heavily tattooed teenager says, great. And there's a few more lines after this as well, before the kid grabs a machine. And it almost feels like Samantha is trying to kind of hide the fact that this mm. is a tattoo parlour and mm. that's what's happening. You need to just put that out there. Yeah. Like there's a tattoo Let's, happening. We're here.
1: Let's drop yeah. us in. Sam is hoping to set something up with a payoff here, but its I don't think it's the right thing to set up. And yeah. I think that's something that would be much better dealt with quickly. And look, drop us in the scene with an evocative detail about the place. Yeah. Like you're just talking about a machine. Yes. And like there's just this kid like, show me. I want to be there. Like, yes, this is just a bit of a comedic story, but drop me into the yes. scene really
0: quickly. And, and, and it'll be take a great way of establishing character as well is to pluck out the <laughs> aspects of the scene, uh, of the surroundings, that would be noticed by the character. Mm. Because then you get an insight into the kind of things that he's noticed. Maybe he's a, he's a guy who's in a suit who's traditionally uptight and now he's decided to take... A new turn in his life, and sees the day, and be spontaneous, and that's mm. why he's there. And he comes in, and he notices how like seedy everything is, mm. or that the person who's about to do that tattoo has some weird piercing or implant or something. And so the, the description that he's chosen, and we talked about choosing from the, the last story we read, the the little piece about pronunciation of the word Sunday, mm. the, the description of the tattoo artist is heavily tattooed teenager. And I think that you know, that could be improved to be something that is more evocative, more something that Clancy himself will notice.
1: Mm. Gives us a, a view of him through what you are choosing to show us in the scene, but yeah. effectively what him as the point of view character, what he is choosing to show us in that scene. And I think that comes back to the pose single effect theory again, mm. right? What details are you choosing to show us? And think about that. So, we've got a heavily tattooed, bored, unenthusiastic teenager. Why? That could be anyone, right? And you can use that. You've only got 500 words. You can use your tattoo artist to, again, show us more, like the contrast between the tattoo artist Mm. and Clancy, for example. If the tattoo artist is just bored and nothing – well, what value is he bringing? And if he's not bringing any value, stop showing him. Get him in and out super quick and show us something else, yeah. you know. We don't need to keep r- being reminded that he's unenthusiastic because it's not telling us, well, I don't believe it's telling yeah. us anything. I mean, maybe
0: there's a contrast there to be made in if Clancy is highly strong mm. and he has attention to the detail, which he doesn't, but that could be something that, that character could have. That's right. And then he's seeing this teenager who's about to make some life-changing thing mm. Something that he can't yeah, take permanent. back once it's done, it's a mm. permanent thing. And now he's getting all stressed out about the fact that the teenager is so flippant, exactly. But
1: he's flippant too, and so and there's so many ways you could take it. Like there's so many different creative choices mm. you could have here. Maybe the tattoo artist. Has no tattoos. And what's yeah, that saying? That's exactly yeah. You know, so you can really lift your story by some really key detail. Like, think about the parts in your story and make them work harder. Like, you've only got 500 words. So, if you're going to introduce a whole character, mm. unless they're a walk-on character, give us them. Who are they? Introduce them and let them be a like a foil to your point of view character. I mean, another piece of writing advice you might hear is every character, even if – they are just a walk-on character, needs a goal, even if that's just to get a glass of water, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is said normally in reference to films, but that everybody should have a reason for being, basically. And if they don't, get them out of there. So the reason for being for the tattoo artist here is that, well, he's getting a tattoo, mm-hmm. but it's flash fiction. You don't need to necessarily mention the tattoo artist once. It can be implied. So if you're going to show them, if you're going to introduce us to a new character, make it work hard, make it give us more. And here, if you are going for a comedic effect, then contrast is probably a really good choice or something shocking like, for example, not having any tattoos yourself. Like these are ways to explore comedy in our reaction from our main character to his environment.
0: So the next line, the machine started whirring and Clancy breathed out, remembering the blog he had read of tips for your first tattoo. Remember to breathe, it had read. How could anyone forget to breathe? But here he was clenching up and forgetting to breathe all at once. This is really the first time where we know for sure that he's in a tattoo parlour. So, mm-hmm. And secondly, I think this is actually a great place to start the story mm. because what's come before that is a little bit of chit-chat mm-hmm. with the tattoo artist. And there is that moment in the mirror, but that also also could come afterwards or it could be referenced. I, I think we know.
1: need it. Be like that piece yes.
0: seems to be required. That's right. But what I like about this is the machine started wearing Clancy breathed out, remembering the blog he had read about getting a tattoo that's a great way of saying where you are without being direct and saying clancy was getting a tattoo mm, you know you're establishing yeah. who the character is the fact that he's getting a tattoo the fact that he's getting his first tattoo the fact that he's nervous about it so he's been on blogs reading about it, that that sets up so many things about the character and it comes about halfway through the story mm. and then that really should come at the front of the story yeah for sure. It's, that's definitely an
1: excellent, like, show don't tell moment. Yeah. Like, where so much is being delivered in a way that's engaging rather than just having to, like, bullet points, let me tell you a little bit about Clancy kind of thing. Mm. One challenge any flash fiction writer has is never having enough words. And so... I think as, you know, in a competition entrant myself, sometimes you think, well, that's nice. Sure, I'll tell you more about Clancy, but he only gave me 500 words, right? And that's a totally valid point to make, I think. But at the same time, like this story shows potential for things that could go in favour of things that are saying more. So some of that repetition that we mentioned, some of the interaction between Clancy and the tattoo artist either can go or needs to be adjusted to say more and to deliver more impact. And I think that's totally achievable within 500 words. And I would say about this story, it's an excellent choice. Again, both of these Daredevil stories were excellent choices in terms of how much to fit in a flash fiction mm, piece. Yeah. So getting a tattoo like that delivery of getting the wrong tattoo, that's it, perfect, perfect amount. So then within that, it's about building greater impact with your creative choices. One line I wanted to call out was, after a moment, the pain shifted into something he could only describe as scratching a three-day-old sunburn, which is exactly what getting a tattoo feels like. So that was a a good evocative piece of imagery
0: there, I thought. I thought so too. I've never gotten a tattoo, so I don't know what it feels like. But um, the the sentence that preceded that, the tip Mm -hmm. of the needle ripped into his skin and it hurt about as much as he was expecting, I think that's that's the kind of thing where you have to think about what you're trying to say mm. because that doesn't say a whole lot to mm. say that, that it hurt about as much as he was expecting.
1: Yeah. And if you want, again, comedic story, right, an opportunity, pain. Yeah. Pain is huge in comedy, right? You could use that or not. But if it's going to be there, it has to be leaning into this comedic punchline, you know, that you're trying to deliver. And if not, it mm, doesn't need to be there.
0: Yep. And I think also something that it takes a little bit of practice to to work out you can do is that you don't need to describe everything that's happening in the sequence. Like, Mm. you can skip bits Mm. that are Mm -hmm. clear that they're happening. Like, you don't have to describe the fact that he turns up at the tattoo parlour and he has to sit down and he has to – if they're part of the story, you absolutely do, but you don't have to mention in sequence every single thing that happens. It's fine to skip some.
1: Especially in a scene like this, which is familiar, whether you've had a tattoo or not, you understand the sequence of events that needs to happen. So. You can skip over them and our brains fill in the blanks without needing it to be spelled out as long as it remains clear, which I think in this case, because it's a fairly straightforward
0: interaction,
1: it would remain clear. So I think an example, which I think we both called out, was that passage of time. So there's a line, the artist didn't say anything else until he was done nearly 40 minutes later. Now, you have sort of skipped there, right? You've skipped ahead. But in a way that took me out of the story a little bit, like, Mm. oh, it's a bit boring. 40 minutes have passed. Why have you taken me on that boring 40 minutes? Can you make a different choice where the impact is delivered more immediately? Like maybe we need to start this story much closer to the Mm. end of the tattoo or – have that first little bit where he's looking in the mirror and then a bigger time jump without all this intervening back and forth with the tattoo artist to sort of jump from the beginning to the end. I think that's perfectly acceptable to do that and probably the right choice in this case.
0: Yeah. My comment there is a good little phrase is just to say, to start the sentence with when he had finished. Mm. When he'd finished, he yep. instructed Clancy because yep. then you know what's just happened. You don't have to say that 40 minutes have passed. Yeah, for sure.
1: I would say too from a from the prompt's perspective, Right? I would say punch in the dick, great. Tick, 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 right? (laughs) Maybe one of my faves. And then the anti prompt, I thought was great. Mm -hmm. Like, we probably, maybe it's overkill. You could argue it's overkill to be going at it from all these angles, but I never felt like it was too much. You know, it wasn't a cliche story. I mean, it was and it wasn't. So I thought that was handled elegantly and one of the better handlings of the cliche prompt as well. But when it came to the spill prompt, It really did feel shoehorned in. yeah. And I understand that, right? Like you're trying to juggle too many balls here. You've got a lot already that you're trying to achieve. You're trying to get this cliche thing, which in this case is quite complex. You're trying to balance a whole bunch of different cliche elements elegantly. And then you're also throwing in punch, although I felt like that was fine, that that slipped in. But, yeah, the spill of – and I'm not even sure what it was, ink, blood. It's not clear. Yeah. And we get – it's devoted – quite a bit of dialogue to that. And I don't know that dialogue added value. Like you could have just gone, whoops, spilled something and then move straight on. Whereas you've drawn our attention to it, but not really then delivered much with that spill. Like it didn't have a purpose except maybe making a bit more fearful.
0: What he could have done is spilt the ink on the template that he was writing from, mm. like the Carpe mm-hmm. Diem template. Yeah. And now he couldn't see the letters and he had to go from memory mm. and he didn't know how to spell it. Mm. So, there there
1: are ways of making it fit the story. Honestly, this is probably work that needs to be done before you write the story so that Mm -hmm. you can shape the story to do that unless you love editing. You might, for example, start the story a bit differently with spilled ink instead and therefore that sort of changes the trajectory of your story a little bit. Maybe he spills ink during the process and then gets distracted and that's why he makes the error. Like, I mean, Tattoos are done on the basis of typically it's drawn on the skin or printed on the skin first, so um, the template should be there. But, yeah, I, d- I felt like that could have been done a little bit more elegantly. Yeah.
0: So th- this is another story that I had commented uh, about potential and, and rated it, um, you know, fairly highly in the scheme of things. And so all the things that we're talking about, you're, you're starting from quite a good starting point. Mm but how to elevate that story from a little bit above average to something that could shortlist or win a competition. Mm.
1: It's by attention to detail, right? And these are the details that we're bringing out. So, overall, I mean, the story's clear. We Mm. see what's happening. We get the joke. And in some ways, you've delivered what you wanted. You wanted to deliver this cliche Mm. and and you've wrapped three cliches in one. And that's really clever. Big props for that because that's not easy to Mm. do. But again, it comes back to character, number one. And I think everybody in the comp could do more to build character and to make us care about character. And then from there also then thinking about all the moving parts and how can that all work as a whole? Why are these parts there? Challenging each piece of your story to work hard and to say more because those are the stories that really get our attention, the ones that every line is just hitting. Every line is
0: giving you something more. But you're right, and that's that's the process that I go through. Once I've got mm. a, a draft, mm. is print out a copy of the story and just hit it with a red pen. Like, mm. do I need this? What am I trying to say? Is this setting me setting up my conclusion? As you always say, kill your darlings. Mm.
1: Well, there's lots of steps that you can go through. I might share my little formula one day oh. with with all our listeners of what I now do mm. after now judging the comp, yeah. What I've learned to do with my own stories that has absolutely, in my view, elevated what I'm producing. Mm. Because there are some key things that you can step through once you've got your draw. And both of these Daredevil stories, I will say, great ideas, fabulous ideas. So, it's then just workshopping those and making sure you're getting the very most out of it and saying what you set out to say and us receiving that message as readers. But thanks, Samantha. That was wonderful. Good fun.
0: Yeah, and that was a lot of fun reading Mm. and um, and talking about And thank you, Emily Gray, and both of our daredevils. Mm. Hope you enjoyed it as well and hope you're not crying in the corner.
1: (laughs) Please let us know (laughs) how you felt about what we said. Let us know if it's too harsh. Is it too harsh? No, Emily Gray, please, for the love of God, I want an email. You've got to tell me what's going on in this story because I need to understand. You've piqued my curiosity here and I want some satisfaction, please. Let us know how you went. Did you struggle with the feedback? Do you understand what we're saying? Do you agree? You may not agree with everything that we've said here. And that's fine too because you're the artist at the end of the day.
0: All right. Drum roll. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. Here we are. I'm excited. Are you excited? I am. So, we'll read the long list. This is going to be in no particular order. Mm -hmm. And... Maybe just to be clear, the long list includes the short list. So mm-hmm. within these 40 entries, somewhere there is the short list and the winner. And so if you're on this list, mm. it could be you. Could be you. And if you're not on this list, you still could have been a wild card.
1: That's right. Exactly. So ultimately, there are like six placeholders, I guess. We've got mm. one to four, first to fourth, and then two honorable mentions, which are sort of equal in estimation. And then we've got the two wild cards, which That's could right. have been taken from anywhere so even if you don't appear on this list by all means hold out
0: hope because you never know without further ado here are the long-listed stories words left unsaid by Liv Hibbert as far as the eye can see by Tess Allen stick it to the man by Carla Connolly all in a day's work by Caitlin Phillips Annabelle Irving
1: by Lara Kane Gray TGIF by Courtney Brown. Rebel Rebel by Ella McCullough. The Flower Duet by Fleecy Malay.
0: To the Ends of the World by Anna Hughes. A Bone of Contention by Sandra Tom Jones. It Never Rains But It Pours by Athena Law. A Haunting by Cleo Davidson Lynch. Senseless Tragedy
1: by Rachel Crane. The Way of the Bins by Bob Topping. It Goes Without Saying by Madeline Howard. The Attraction by
0: Philippa Freegard A Funny Story by Dean Koori A Love at First Sight by Jaden Christopher Old Poisons by Frankie Seymour Paradise by A.J. Sabani Memory Lane by
1: Shannon Mackey Ashes to Ashes, Dust to Dust by Marissa Hanley Spherical Refraction by Jacqueline Koshorst The Weather in Erie, Pennsylvania by Matthew Peters
0: Exposure, by Anna Lois Bath. The Early Bird Catches the Worm, by Anne Wilkins. Everything in Australia is Trying to Kill You, by Timothy Hayes. The Circle of Life, by The Wayward Scribe.
1: The Harriet Calico, or Cat Got Your Tongue, by Sam James. Float Like a Butterfly, by Katie Chalice. A Bun in the Oven, by Zelda C. Thorne. Magic, by Melissa Stegall.
0: Bless This Mess, by Chad Frame. Tethered by Kat Haberman, Whispers by Trey Dowell, Five Days Late is Better Than Forever by
1: Sarah Heard. Like a Moth to a Flame by Cam Clare, Two Buckets and a Rope by Tom Brodkin, Funeral Rites by Patrick Moon, and last but not least, Salt of the Earth by Karen Mittani. So a huge congratulations if you made the list. Well done. And commiserations if you didn't. But as we said, like, you know, the standard was really good. So could have been something small between you and the list. But for our contenders, for those of you who made the list, I hope you find a way to celebrate because the writing life can be tough, you know, and so that little bit of validation that we hope we've provided to you, we hope you celebrate that because it's worth it. So think about it. How will you celebrate? Like, it's exciting to long list. And, you know, if you didn't make the long list, how are you going to commiserate? I know our favourite way of commiserating is just, like, absolutely shitting all over the winners. So (laughs) feel free to do that when the time comes. But, yeah, again, remember you might still be in contention for the wild card. And, nevertheless, we hope you'll join us for the next episode to hear, you know, who who won and Mm -hmm. and who made the shortlist because there's some wonderful stories in there that you'll enjoy hearing, I'm sure. Also, there's a little something that we've been hinting at that we're cooking up for the winner. So, we're looking forward to revealing what the winner will get in addition to their prize money when we announce that in like a week's time.
0: Yeah, it's very exciting.
1: So, jump on the forum, congratulate each other, accept the glowing praise and congratulations from your fellow not quite writers.
0: And so, the next you'll hear from us is going to be the shortlist episode in Mm -hmm. about a week's time. and. Past that, we'll be back to our regular programming for a Mm -hmm. little while and Mm -hmm. getting ready for the next comp.
1: So, yeah, if you've had a good time, if you've learned something, if you've enjoyed the ride, we hope you'll join the ride again next time because we have fun reading your stories and we appreciate every single one of you for participating. And, you know, stick it to us. If you didn't make the long list, come back. Listen to the advice given on the podcast today. Come back guns blazing next time around. We want to see it.
0: And if you're still listening, thank you for sticking with us because I'm sure this is a really long episode. We'll see what comes out in the edit, but I think we've, like, we've been talking for four and a half hours at this point. So there's quite a lot of content here and hopefully it's been valuable for you. So until next time when we reveal our shortlist and our winner, right on. Right on. Thank you for listening to Not Quite Right. If you'd like to reach us via email or follow us on social media, you can find all the links on our website, notquiterightpodcast.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Something doesn't seem quite right.
1: I'm turning into a Karen. Help. I'm turning into a bloody perimenopausal. Fucking psychopath is what I'm turning into. One <laughs> could
0: argue that turning into is not needed. In that sense. I did not purchase the daredevil back <laughs> <fucking laughs> in ch-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off.